When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. You're with Jordan Canellis on SEN, your home of sport. It's been a huge weekend of sport, especially across the three football codes. I was going to say two initially, up until the third one just reared its head up in the last couple of hours and I reckon stole the show for the weekend. But there's plenty to get through on the next couple of hours tonight here on SCN. You can give us a call at 1300 736 736 so you can send us a text on the temper text line 0433981116 over the next three hours. We'll be recapping the weekend, what has happened, what is still to come as well over the next week with the whole myriad of guests. We'll have Brett Phillips from the first serve talking Roland Garros, Benyam Kidane from NBA Australia talking NBA finals, Scott Sattler talking NRL finals, Benny Graham, our old mate at SEN, he'll be with us to chat about the NFL and we'll speak to Ash Brown from sen.com.au and the AFL record very shortly. A weekend, plenty of finals action in uh, in most Australian sports and even over in America as well. A couple of nights ago, Richmond's 31-point winners over St Kilda, 80-49. to 49. This match, I guess, proved to us that, you know, Tom Lynch is pretty important to that Richmond team. They didn't get the win with him last week in the qualifying final, but... He comes in, only scored two goals, five, but his presence up in the forward line, the amount of scoring shots he had showed how important he is to the Tigers. And the Saints, credit to them, they they were able to stem the flow of Richmond a little bit after quarter time, but Richmond knew they had that game and St Kilda never quite in it. Basha Hooley, 32 touches. Geelong a smashing yesterday against Collingwood, 68 points, and they motor their way into the preliminary finals Tom Hawkins, four goals, one. Mitch Duncan had 30 touches, and Collingwood never really turned up to play. Were they exhausted from last weekend against West Coast? I don't really think there was a moment in that match where they or anyone watching thought they were overly competitive. In the NRL semi-final week as well, and I hate to say it, AFL fans, I reckon the NRL matches actually trumped the AFL this weekend. Their matches were absolutely exhilarating to watch, especially the first one on the Friday night, the Roosters... 18 to 22 against Canberra. James Tedesco, two tries. He is the best fullback in the game now that Billy Slater is retired, but he couldn't quite do enough to get the Roosters over the line against the Canberras. And don't forget, that was the grand final rematch from last year, which ended in controversial circumstances. So the Raiders, they exacted revenge on the Roosters, and they are now into the prelims. And then Parramatta against South Sydney. This was a shootout 38 to 24, high scoring. The Eels were without some key players. Clint Gutherson, their superstar fullback, scored two tries. Jackson Paulo for the Rabbitohs scored two as well. Check out the highlights of that one. 
the Rabbitohs, they ran riot over the Eels in the second half. Now, Roland Garros, and we'll chat to Brett Phillips in uh, in the second hour. Igor Sviantek, the 19-year-old from Poland, ranked number 54 in the world, beat Sofia Kennan, who was the winner of the women's singles at the Oz Open earlier this year. 6-4, 6-1, comprehensive second set from Igor Sviantek to win the women's title. Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal tonight at midnight. The story of the day, though, has been the Bledisloe Cup. Game one of a four-game series of the Bledisloe Cup, which is a bit unusual in itself, but we'll have two in New Zealand and then two back in Australia, which will tie in with the rugby championship. 16-all, a draw over at the Cake Tin at Wellington. It was uh, it was a so-so first half from the Wallabies. They, again, some old problems under a new head coach, came up yet again the set pieces and the defense of the Wallabies not great but in the second half is when James O'Connor in particular came to life the man who was christened the new big thing about 10 or 15 years ago in Australian rugby he's 30 years old now he still looks pretty young good on him Uh, but he turned things around in the second half of the Wallabies set up two tries and 16 all a draw We'll delve into that a little bit later on. NBA Finals continues on Game 6 tomorrow. NFL Week 5 headlines by the, strangely, the Colts versus the Browns, which turns out to be the match of the weekend. And in the netball, the Sunshine Coast Lightning and the West Coast Fever, it's West Coast who won their preliminary final today, and they are into the grand final next week against the Melbourne Vixens, which should be a great matchup. Danielle Fowler, 60 from 61 shooting for the West Coast Fever. So that's a bit of a brief on what's been happening in sports. Let's dive in a bit with the AFL. As I said, one 736 736 over the course of the next couple of hours if you'd like to have a chat or you can send in a temper text on 0433981116 if you'd like to uh, contribute to the discussion on the text messages. But let's get into what has happened in AFL this weekend, both on the field and off the field, mainly on the field though. And from sen.com.au and the AFL record is Ash Brown. He's with us here on SEN. Hello, Ash. Jordan, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm catching my breath from all the sport that we've been uh, been blessed with this weekend. Plenty of finals sport happening around, and and the AFL no different, leading the way in uh, in in that sense. And we saw the hot and cold of footy, I think, on the weekend across the two semi-finals. We had a one reasonably close game for each during a, a premiership contender in Richmond, and then a totally uh, one-sided affair yesterday. Semi-finals, I feel, Ash, often get forgotten. In If the games are just all right, they often get forgotten because the first week of the finals, it's all the hype of finals are here and then preliminary finals in week three, of course, are, are huge. What did we learn from the two games collectively, though, over the last two days? Well, I think the feeling all along was that uh, there were probably four elite teams this season and they're the four that we get in the uh, final four of the season. So... Uh, Collingwood uh, had their moments over the course of the season, but it was a difficult season for them in the end. And I think that caught up with them um, against Geelong last night. And St Gilda were, uh, again, had a pretty good season, but I think they were punching above their weight in playing against uh, Richmond on Friday night. So I think the results were reasonably predictable. Certainly didn't think that uh, Geelong would uh, would get the points by, uh, by get the win by 68 points or whatever the 62 points, whatever the margin was on. Uh, Last night, it was an absolute slaughter. I thought Collingwood would be more competitive. But we often uh, get caught up, don't we? We get caught up in the excitement and the romance often of the elimination final winners and forget often that uh, the qualifying final losers have been pretty good teams over the course of the season. And 
we shouldn't write them off necessarily after one loss. So that's how it played out on the weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fans and, and footy fans and even even neutral fans get uh, overly emotive, I think, based on one game. The, the Cats, everyone was saying, even though they lost by, uh, what, 16 points the week earlier against Port Adelaide, they were saying, oh, it's they didn't play well and it's all over for Geelong. And then they come out and they beat Collingwood the way they did. And now no one really knows what to think ahead of next week's prelim. They're... they're um, their style of game, their possession style of game, the forward line functioned much better last night, the Cats. Um, and it was, I think it was pretty clear early on that Collingwood couldn't really compete. What was different from the Cats uh, last week or yesterday compared to compared to last week? What I found interesting watching last night's game, Jordan, was that the, three, the four players were in the gun for different reasons against uh, Port Adelaide. Tom Hawkins with his kicking, he, he kicked terribly for goal. Uh, he kicked 0-5 against um, Port in that uh, final. Brian Myers was pretty quiet. Gary Rowan had a bit of a mare. And Gary Abbott was really quiet. So in the first quarter last night, Gary Abbott has two goal assists. Rowan's busy. Myers kicks a goal and Hawkins kicks straight. So four players, really the blowtorch was on to a degree after that first final. All played pretty well early on when Geelong established their ascendancy, didn't they? They, were, they were led by 27 points. I think it was at quarter time. So... That was the difference straight away. And then the other issue we have with Geelong, the issue, but the debate every week is, you know, where is Patrick Dangerfield uh, best deployed in big games like uh, like a final? Well, we saw what he did as a, at pro- playing primarily out of the forward line last night. He was just tremendous. So um, they obviously wish they had two of him. But, um, you know, Scott, Chris got back his mid- midfield in to get the job done and to, and to have uh, Dangerfield play primarily out of the forward line. And that worked really well again last night. So that's what I found with notice about Geelong. I mean, good players stepped up and Mitch Duncan's a great player. He often gets overlooked when you talk about the great players at Geelong, but he, he's been a terrific player for a long time and he had a, a great game last night. Cam Graffiti was very good as well through the midfield and their back line held up very nicely uh, against a Collingwood team that was uh, pretty poor. Collingwood, was it simply they were, were they exhausted from last week over against West Coast or, or were they were they outplayed in the coach's box? Yeah, I'm not sure they lost in the coaches' box as much as I think they were outplayed. I think they, uh, I think the, the the seasons take a lot out of Collingwood, and I think you know, I've had a bit of a look before. I've written something for the record this week. Looked at their seasons, and they've sort of they've been fairly constant travellers. Collingwood, they've been all over the shop um, for most of the season, and um, I think going to Perth for a week last week uh, to play that final against West Coast as well as they sort of played as meritorious as win as it was. I suspect they took a fair bit out of them and then to come back again, another six-hour flight across the country, then get settled into Queensland again for another week, I think was um, a bit too much for them. And I think, you know, look, it didn't make a difference last night. I mean, it was such a big margin, but I think, you know, still Sidebottom is a great finals player and Jeremy Howe is really important to their back line. And I think they missed him terribly last night. So I think that their absence over the last few weeks of the season was telling, and uh, certainly last night, again, not having them at their disposal. They needed everybody up and running last night, Collingwood, to beat Geelong. It didn't quite work out for them. Is it, or would, it, would it have been a reach to say that a preliminary final for Collingwood would have been an overachievement this season? Well, <laughs> Collingwood's best footy is very good, so you could, ju- you could justify a case for, saying to make, for them to make a preliminary final uh, would have been would have been a reasonable achievement, and, and then you know, and then to have gotten past Geelong, who've had their final struggles over the years. So I'm not sure whether it would have been overachievement, but I, I think we can comfortably say 
that over the course of the season, the best four teams have made the preliminary final, which is what makes this weekend coming up so mouthwatering. Just on Collingwood as well, Travis Varco in the last hour has announced his retirement from football. 230 games, 171 goals across Geelong and, and Collingwood, um, winning two flags with the Cats and then having plenty of success recently with, with Collingwood. He's had his own uh, off-field um, uh, personal battles, I guess you could say, with, with his family and his sister most recently, and he's been able to to power through that, which is a great credit to him, and, and now he retires at the age of 32. Yeah, a terrific career, 230 games. That was, uh, you know, he... Uh, he was a fine player at Geelong, and then he managed to come to uh, Collingwood and carve out another sort of four or five seasons there as a really good player. So, now he, he and I think from reading the media release, you know, he had nothing left in the tank. I think he gave footy his all. Fine player at uh, both clubs. You know, you have to do well these days. A lot of players um, play for two or more clubs, but they don't can get fondly rem- remembered by two sets of supporters. But I think certainly in the case of both Collingwood and Geelong supporters will uh, really fondly remember the contribution Barco made to their clubs. A, a, a great career, and we wish him well in retirement. To the uh, semi-final the night before, Richmond were, were ticking along. It looked like at their finals best. Direct play, they were fast, they were playing on quickly, they were taking all their chances. It's unmatchable football on, on most occasions anyway. Brisbane did pretty well the week earlier. Um, St Kilda, I think credit to them. They, didn't, they kept Richmond within their, you know, almost within their grasp after quarter time, but... It was clear that there was there was one superior team on the uh, on the field. They just didn't quite have that that finals edge yet, do they, St Kilda? But something that you imagine they'll probably gather in the next year or so if they can keep the group together. Yeah, look at a few teams that have sort of got they've had a taste of finals footy, then gone on to do really well the next few years after that. And I think of you know this sort of smacked a bit of Hawthorne two thousand seven before they won the next year, the Bulldogs twenty fifteen, they won it won in twenty sixteen. Um, we've seen a few examples. Even Richmond, I mean, Richmond had that sort of year where they, in 2016 where they struggled a bit, but they had three years of making the finals before then. So I think yeah, there's reasonably good signs for St Kilda. Um, yeah, their kicking let them down. They were they had that kick straight. I mean, they uh, they could have been a, a little bit closer than they were, but uh, yeah, I think they just lacked that pulse. Richmond seemed to have all the answers, I thought, Jordan. Every time St Kilda got within three goals, Richmond would uh, slice them up pretty quickly and get a, a goal to themselves to, to make that margin reasonably comfortable. It was a, a really solid performance from Richmond. I think um, they uh, they looked a bit sort of a bit harder, a bit meaner about them. Um, they, they, they sort of had more of an edge to them. So it was a it was a terrific performance. Most people expected them to rebound, and uh, I didn't think there was anything particularly surprising about the performance. They're still a very 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 good team, and um, can't wait to see how they go over in Port Adelaide on Friday night. That's going to be one hell of a primary final. Yeah, absolutely. Controversies always seem to follow Richmond around. And Tom Lynch, his uh, little knee into the neck, shoulder, that, that area of Dougal Howard. So he gets off with the fine, Tom Lynch. The uh, the AFL uh, MRO put that through earlier today. So no suspension for the dropping of the knee, just a fine. Was that a fair assessment, you think, from the MRO? I think it's a fair assessment. I think he's a bit lucky. Uh, you know, another couple of centimetres another way, he would have got him flush in the face, and that might have made it a bit, uh, a bit of a different call for the MRO to make. But he's a bit fortunate, um, because they've changed the rules. You know, if you used to be this is I think the fifth time this year he's, he's gone up. I mean, if you used to be three and out, if you, you went up a third time, there's an automatic suspension. That's an interesting call for me. I felt they got rid of that. I would have thought. Uh, 
Lynch knows what his limits are. He likes to play a bit more. Not sure why he does it. I mean, he's such a fine, such a great yeah. player, and he's such an important player to Richmond now. Why he would put, I mean, and you could see the difference with him playing against uh, St Kilda with him not playing against Brisbane. He's such an important part of the side. I just don't know why he would put himself in any sort of jeopardy whatsoever. I just can't understand it. Are you a bit perplexed how Trent Cotchin didn't even get cited for his high tackle on, on Zach Jones? How, how has he gotten away with that? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a little bit surprised. I thought, um, you know, that Tottenham certainly should have had a, had a close look at. He gets a bit lucky, Trent Cotchin. There's, um, some people say he's a bit of a koala, protecting species, uh, when it comes to these sort of incidents and finals. He also is someone who runs things a bit fired. But again, he's such an important player to them. I think he'll be quite relieved that uh, he, he got away with that one and can move on and have an undrafted preparation for the prelim final. Some off-field stuff before we let you go. Ash, Ash Brown with us, SEN.com.au, an AFL record writer. Um, how ugly might this off-season be for Essendon at the trade table when you've got players who they brought in only a couple of years ago, like Adam Saad and now Devin Smith's name's being brought up, uh, who want to leave and Joe Danaher wanting to leave and Fantasia as well. And there's not really much interest coming the other way to come to, es- uh, to Essendon. How ugly might it be once the season's over? Well, I think it's ugly now. I think you know it's not a great time to be an Essendon person. Um, but it, I, I'm of the belief, John, that um, pull the uh, pull the bandaid off now. If players want to leave, do it all now. In the next couple of weeks, show the door to whoever doesn't want to be there. Get yourself set up for the trade and the draft period. Move on from there. If the club with a reset, a new coach is in charge now, properly for the first time. I know we had the sort of interim changeover period last season, but. Uh, um, Ben Rutten's in charge now. New president in Paul Brasher. Go take take your lumps now. It's you know four or five months or next season. They can uh, go to the trade table, uh, get what they can in return. Go to the draft with maybe pick six, seven, and eight, which is looming as a possibility. That'll that'll create real excitement among Essendon people as well. So I, I think yeah, it is. A, it's an ugly time at the moment, but in the two months' time, it could be actually a very exciting club as, as the reset takes shape. It's easy to sell hope to football supporters. And Essendon is a position, if they do it properly, they can actually sell some hope going forward that they've got an invested playing group that wants to take the club forward. Uh, finally, on the off-season stuff, might last night's game for Collingwood, might that have been Jordan Degoe's last match in Collingwood colours? Carlton are now sniffing around for him. It's They're going to have to fit them all in somehow because they've got Zach Williams and Adam Saad coming over. Now Jordan Degoe. Is there a chance that it might actually happen, Degoe to Carlton? Well, Nathan Buckley didn't sound all that convincing, did he, last night, talking about you know, what Jordan wants to get uh, the most money he can for himself. Well, that won't be kind. Well, they've got uh, a lot of well-paid players at Magpies, and they've got to spread the wealth amongst them. So, yeah, I don't think he mounted a totally convincing case, Bucks, that Goey's going to be there next year. Interesting um, discussion today that was in the Herald Sun about, you know, surely Brody Mycheck, on a consistency basis, you actually pay Mycheck the big bucks more than, the, you know, the... He's the player they don't want to leave because he's been such a good player for them over these last three seasons. But um, they don't want to pay all the money to go and run the risk of losing a player like Myshek, who's just honest and just gives something to them every week. So yeah, they've got some uh, decisions to make, Colin, but I think they've got they've got to take a bit of a look at themselves. I've written it for the record this week. I think they've got to look at um, off-field and they've got to look on-field. It's uh, maybe shaking up a little bit. It's been two years of disappointment and uh, now nine years of no premiership under Nathan Buckley. I don't think they can just... Uh, do the same thing next year and expect to uh, expect to win the flag. What is coming up in the AFL record this weekend, Ash? A big addition, preliminary finals. What's on offer? 
a big week for us. We actually do two editions of the record this week. We finish the preliminary final edition tomorrow, which has uh, got our uh, our bumper Brownlow preview. So uh, you don't want to watch the Brownlow without having a copy of the record by your side. And we actually finished the grand final record on Saturday night. So we um, to get that up, so we can put that on sale all of the grand final week. So we uh, our busiest week of the year because we're doing two editions, pretty much finishing two editions of the record in one go. So our grand final record full of features that people are going to love as well. That's coming together very nicely. Excellent stuff, Ash. A pleasure to have you on. We'll hear you again soon across the SEN network and uh, enjoy enjoy filing for the record and enjoy the pre- preliminary finals coming up next weekend. Thanks, Jordan. Anytime. Ash Brown from the AFL record and SEN.com.au with us here on your Sunday night. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you'd like to give us a call or you can send us a text on the temper text line 0433981116. Also, we mentioned Travis Varco just before announcing his retirement in the last hour or so. So he, his career finishes after 230 games. St Kilda have just confirmed five initial delistings right off the back of uh, last night, um, mainly uh, depth players, Dalton Langlands, Ryan Abbott, who they picked up as a bit of uh, backup uh, uh, depth in the ruck from Geelong. Jack Bell, Jack Mayo and Logan Austin won't be offered contracts for 2021. So Dalton Langlands, I think he played a couple of games at the end of last season. We didn't really see too much from Jack Bell or Jack Mayo. We didn't really see any of Logan Austin. He was brought in from Port Adelaide as a key defender, but uh, one of his ex-teammates who came across in Dougal Howard I guess, took the spot that Logan Austin might have been going for and they, they filled up on key backs uh, in the recent uh, trade period, most recent trade period, St Kilda. And then Ryan Abbott, who did get a couple of games over the two years with uh, with this, or one year, I think, with the Saints as a as a backup ruck, but they have been delisted. Langlands, Abbott, Bell, Mayo and Austin for the Saints. Give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Are you convinced about the Cats? How much have you been able to read What's your predictions when you put last week against uh, against Port Adelaide together with this week against Collingwood? Is it enough? Do you think the Cats will have the ability to beat the Lions or will the Lions do what Port Adelaide effectively did in the third quarter alone last week and turn up the heat, turn up the pressure, play that fast, aggressive style that they can, Brisbane, and beat, uh, beat Geelong? And then for Tom Lynch, an interesting one. I don't really think it's funny with – I think the the assessment, the punishment – from the MRO was probably the right decision if it was in the shoulder and it wasn't, it was more of a tap than a proper knee drop, not wasn't a full on WWE knee drop. Um, so by the rules, I, I do think the punishment was probably fair. I know a lot of people will get up in arms about that because of his multiple offenses this year. But as Ash pointed out, there's no legislation like that anymore. There used to be, if you built up um, your, your sanctions over the course of a season, then your your succeeding sanctions will have and carry more weight, but that doesn't exist anymore. It's they just rule on each each action individually. There's no there's no build up. I don't think Tom Lynch is an inherently malicious player. I just I think he's quite mild mannered by nature. I just think he's trying to impose himself. He's trying to put on this almost facade. I think anyway. This is my assessment. This sort of facade as a big scary full forward, and that I don't think really comes naturally to him. And as a result, he's not really thinking his way through these sorts of little actions that he does and ends up coming off looking a bit dumb as a result. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you'd like to talk about that, Jordan Ngoi, does he get to Carlton? Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. A break on SEN this Sunday night. We'll come back after this. We'll take some of your calls. 
We'll touch base as well with what happened in the Bledisloe Cup earlier tonight. It was unbelievable action, 16 all with late, late drama over in Wellington. All that and more coming up on SEN. Jordan Canellis this Sunday evening. Sunday night, SEN. Give us a call, one 736 736 or a text on the temper text line, 0433981116. One in from Anonymous to the fool who said Collingwood would beat Geelong for fun. You are a flog. (laughs) It's been a couple of, or been a bit of that actually around uh, both talk back, I guess, and footy social media and forums and whatever, however you uh, stay in touch in in quarantine with other footy fans. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, would have been quietened after last night's big win for the Cats over the Pies. Um, And uh, and another one here from Anonymous saying Lynch should not have been charged at all. What a joke. I hope every other minor contact will be charged throughout the whole final series. We aren't playing netball, says Anonymous off the text. 0433981116. Let's head to the phones. Brad from Mill Park is with us to have a chat on this Sunday night. Welcome to you, Brad. Hey, mate, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, I just want to talk about Brody Grundy's season, how I think it's very subpar. What's your thoughts? I know he had a very good first game against the Bulldogs and Tim English, but once mm. they come back from the break, he was very down. Yeah, it felt like he was playing the season on sort of low energy, I guess. He wasn't... He yeah, was. He, Go ahead. He, he had no impact around the ground, I feel. Like, when you watch the game, he wasn't the dominant force that he usually is. Yeah, around the ground especially. I think he still had uh, he still had an impact from time to time in the centre square, and he's a pretty good centre square player. So after the, the centre bounce, he'd normally get a good handful of clearances over the course of a game and, and the season. But definitely around the ground, there were other certainly other ruckmen that were that were much better than him. I can think of three or four off, right off the top of my head um, uh, that were that were much better than him this season. It is. I don't know. It's, it's it's a strange one. Maybe is he was he made to look not as good by the fact that Collingwood had so many players out and that sort of filtered through the rest of the team, or was it just simply a down year for for Brody Grundy? Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm not too sure. It's just it's just very strange. He started off so well and then yeah, just kind of went down. Is it the effect of signing a big contract? Some people have have pointed this out that once a player signs a a big contract and they lock themselves in to a club, but there's often the phenomenon that the player then just sort of takes it easy after that. And he's been locked away for what, seven years. I think it is his contract. Maybe it's, it's that phenomenon has struck him. Yeah. The possibility of him being comfortable now that he knows he's staying could just be like, Oh, I've done my job. Like in a sense, mm. <laughs> is it a, is it a huge worry for, for Collingwood supporters? I don't, he's still up there as probably, you know, on a level playing field up in the top five ruckman in the competition. I don't. I hope, for Collingwood's sake, that it's not going to be a, a thing that lasts now. I think he's still good enough to, to come back and, and still be one of the premier ruckman next season. Yeah, I don't think it's a huge worry, but Collingwood are at their best when he dominates around the grounds and take marks on the wing and can get those clearances. And when, when he doesn't, they just look half the team, really. Mm. What are your tips for the prelim finals this weekend? Or next weekend? Oh, I reckon the two victories. Two Victorian clubs will get the job done. Geelong, Richmond. Really? Yeah, I think Richmond, they're obviously, they've proven in finals. And I think Geelong can go in with a bit of confidence against Brisbane, so. Yeah, uh, that's that's the one that's, I, I think the Port Adelaide-Richmond game is going to be as, you know, as close to 50-50 as you can get. 
I don't. I really have no idea with Brisbane and, and Geelong because Brisbane played really good football last week against Richmond's and Geelong were outdone last week by Port Adelaide's pressure and Collingwood didn't give any pressure to, to Geelong last night. So if Brisbane can, can sort of up the ante and play that fast football, which they're very capable of, they're similar to Port Adelaide in that sense. If they can do that against Geelong, I feel that there might be a patch again that in, in, a, in, in the game that Geelong just get overwhelmed. But Brisbane and, and the, the, the concern against, against Brisbane is that they don't kick straight. They kicked straight last week, but if they are even a little bit off next week, then Geelong absolutely might win. Yeah, they just allow the opportunity for the opposition to stay in the game. So, yeah, it's a tough one. Thank you for your call, Brad. Thank you, mate. Have a good day. Thank you, Brad, from Mill Park with us. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you'd like to give us a call as well. Um, 0433981116 on the uh, on the temper text line. Tom Lynch. Trent, so th- okay, so Tom Lynch, we've we've addressed that with, with Ash uh, Brown, and I... I um, brought it up just a moment ago as well. I, I, the the bigger crime for me was that um, was that Trent Cotchin wasn't cited at all. I mean, that I don't think uh, Trent Cotchin's... By comparison, I, I heard Trent Cotchin's incident on Zach Jones compared to Ben Long's from the week earlier against Jack McRae. I don't think Cotchin's was as dangerous on Jones as Ben Long's was. A shoulder straight to the side, into the chin... That, that that has more potential to knock a player out than what Cochin did. What Cochin did was still very ugly. The way that Jones's body sort of jarred back under his knees and obviously the, the whiplashy um, uh, movement from his head as a, as a result of the coat hanger, not great. I don't think it would have got him a suspension, but definitely should have been cited. The fact that that was completely overseen by the umpires and by the AFL post, because the AFL and the MRO can still refer incidents even if they weren't reported by the umpires on the day. The fact that it wasn't cited at all by the AFL, it just sits a bit uncomfortably with me. What do you think? one 736 736 James is with us from Caulfield to have a chat about the teams from the weekend and the prelim finals coming up. Welcome to you, James. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm well. Yeah, it was interesting last night. I thought the best result probably for Geelong was, you know, getting through the game without any injuries. And, um, yeah, it just, it just looked like Collingwood and probably their legs were a bit shot from maybe from the West Coast game, I'm not quite sure. But, um, you know, the most the most satisfying thing is you're probably looking at a an old, mature Geelong side playing a young Brisbane side. And one thing we know is Richmond and Port are, are really going to go at it and there's going to be some sore bodies after that game. So... You'd really think either way the Geelong Brisbane game, um, either team will be quite sharp for the um, for the granny. Yeah. So, what's your assessment then? The 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 old against the youth. Um, is there a clear upper hand in the matchup in that preliminary final? Um, well, I, you know, it's funny. It's probably it's probably the it's probably danger. It starts with him because. Um, I think the closer and closer he gets a sniff um, to getting to the big dance. That's that's what will be really interesting. But I, I do think Geelong's mature backline against um, you know some of the skinnier boys at Brisbane I think will hold will hold you know themselves really well. And um, no, I think it'll be a really good game. And, and as long as as long I think I think Geelong's always a sniff in the game without a dominant ruckman. And I don't think Brisbane really possess a ruckman that um, that would smash Stanley in the in, in the ruck. So I, I I really give Geelong a good chance to. Um, to give it a good match. 
True. I don't think Stanley will smash Brisbane, though, the other way. But I get, your, I get your point. And as you said with Geelong, they have a great defence. Defence wins premierships. And I think the one thing that stood out for me last week from across all the games in the first week of the finals were teams that were able to score goals on the run often won the game. Teams that were trying to set up set shots a goal. Even last night you can, you can look at this because St Kilda's style of play was very regimented. It was very thought out. They had planned it on the training track and they were trying to put together well, uh, well, well engineered moves to get it into the forward line and, and get it into the hands of Max King predominantly, but memory when he was up there as well before he had to fill in in defense. And that didn't quite work. When you're trying to play two structured football in finals, well, it often gets I, undone. I, kind of, I do. I actually disagree. I felt actually there, um, they reminded me of the old Hawthorne outfit with really being slick with the ball and lowering their eyes to hit their targets. I thought that the reason why they lost that game was the guys they brought in to take them that next level, like Hill, um, Jones, they, they didn't step up. And, and they were the small margins for um, for them not getting across because King and, and Memory were probably best on ground for St Kilda and, and I think did their job. Um, yeah, if, if, if Brisbane get off and find space, sure, you know, they can break down Geelong's holding patterns with switching the ball and, taking control, but at the same time, if Geelong's skills are up to scratch and, and, and they've had an outstanding, it's probably Scotty's best coaching performance um, since he's been at the club this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the older bodies that and, and some of the boys have been there, I think it's their time to, to, to really get to that last 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 game and um, give, themselves, give themselves the best opportunity. But then again, if, if Lockie Neal, Zorko... Um, Cameron, they're nippy, speedy guys. If they get off the leash, sure, they're going to give up Geelong a really hard, hard game to to get to get across that line. I would say. Yeah, I think that's where football has turned now. After the Hawthorne era finished, teams that have speed now, speed kills in AFL, and especially in the last five years. And you look at all the last five or so premiers, and they are all teams that play very fast football. It's not the possession passing uncontested mark style that Hawthorne won their flags with. It's, it's, it's the speed. And if, if Geelong can quell the speed, and as you said, James, their defense is great. So if they can put those defenders and, you know, match them up the right way and structure up the right way, if they can, if they can smother that speed that Brisbane have, then yeah, absolutely puts them probably in, in favoritism over the course of the match. But if Brisbane are able to, to work their way through and use that pace, as you said, I think it's, I think it's Brisbane's good assessment though, James, a pleasure. Thanks, mate. James from Caulfield here on SEN this Sunday night. We'll take a quick break. You can give us a call. You can continue this discussion rolling on one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or you can send us a text on zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Still a couple of calls that we'll get to. We'll take a break though, and after this, Brett Phillips from the First Serve will join us to have a chat about the Roland Garros tournament. Igor Sviantek, the nineteen-year-old. There's a couple of different uh, previous uh, almost. Um, uh, editions that have happened or uh, instances, I should say, that have happened, especially at Roland Garros, of young new players making their mark and winning their first Grand Slam. In the past, Igor Viantek joins the new crew, 19 years of age, ranked 54th in the world, beats Sofia Kennan, who won the Oz Open earlier this year, and then Djokovic and Nadal, another great matchup in that rivalry, is the men's final tonight at midnight. SEN Sunday nights, your calls, your thoughts, and Brett Phillips up next. 
736 to call. You can send us a temper text on 0433981116. The finals, the preliminary finals coming up this weekend ahead. Um, who? Are we, so in a final, so from my assessment, as we spoke about with James from Caulfield before on the talkback, is it is it structure and I think good good defence, regardless of of your game style, is going to help you a long way. And Geelong, for me, have the best defence in the competition. But further up the ground, once you start putting moves together and you try and progress the ball from one end of the field to the other, is it structure or is it out and out speed? And I think that's what we'll see, especially in the uh, in the Brisbane Geelong preliminary final. Geelong have Geelong have speed. Don't get me wrong, but their game style is more planned around the possession, the marking. Brisbane play a little bit more loose. If the ball hits the ground, they're okay. Geelong, if the ball hits the ground, they've got the players there. They've got, especially in the front half, they've got Myers and, and Rowan and Ablett, who are the main sort of three mid to small size forwards. And especially Myers is, is the best of the lot, I think, at this stage with that ground level footy. But Brisbane have so much more. And there was a great comparison, I think, on the was it the TV commentary, I think, of the, the Brisbane game that uh, someone said the Cracker Brothers. Well, now it's Charlie Cameron and, and Cam Rayner, the Cameron Brothers. Uh, I think you, you look at those sorts of players and, and the, the speed that Brisbane have, and if you can score from unstructured play, if you're able to score those quick opportune goals from from – just a moment, just a half moment that might present itself on the ground or in a in a scrappy in a scrappy passage. If you can score from that, then that's gonna that's gonna put you a long way towards towards making the next week in the finals, which in this case will be the grand final a couple of weeks from now. And I think that's where that's where St Kilda probably fell a little short last night. They were I, I thought they were trying to play too structured, and Richmond's. They had structure, but when the ball was hitting the ground, they had the players that were able to, to buzz in and, and and fly through and score those opportune goals. We saw Dusty Martin score that high over-the-shoulder goal. We saw Shane Edwards score uh, one or two similar goals like that. We saw um, some great sweeping plays from one end of the ground to the other where they they barely went over their mark all night, Richmond's. They, they marked and played on it almost every occasion they possibly could. And it's that kind of football where you can you can play fast and out outpace the opposition that wins you finals. Yeah, if you keep the intensity up all the way through, and I'm you know this is nothing new. I'm not not bringing any new knowledge to the table. Everyone knows this, but I'm just simply reinforcing the fact that I think I think a team like Brisbane are probably much better at doing that than a side like Geelong. But that isn't to rule out Geelong because at the end of the day, defence wins premierships, and Geelong have a better defence, in my opinion, than what Brisbane do. So. That's where all these different little bits and pieces and storylines start to cross over and, and cancel each other out. So it makes it very, very interesting. Greg from Blackburn is with us. Hey, Greg. G'day, Jordan. I haven't spoken to you before, so thanks for taking the call, mate. All good. Uh, all good. Just a couple of things, um, if I may. Uh, bad kicking is bad football. So what a difference, you know, five zero five to four goals one makes. Yeah. And it's been through the, the series, you know, bad kicking is bad footy. A special um, shout-out to the little master, Gary Ablett, for those two deft little kicks that really got him moving, you know, and got the first two goals. He's a a champion. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a Melbourne supporter, but I'm I'm really wanting Geelong to win now. And I think it was Paddy Dangerfield said the other day that they're comfortable where they're playing because they've won four. Even though it's Brisbane's home game, they like the dimensions of the ground. 
and I, I reckon uh, I reckon they'll go all the way. I, I actually I agree with you. The uh, back line is better, and their forward line, if they click, and finally, if I may, um, Trent Cotchin is super lucky, mate. <laughs> if he had, um, you know, the way he threw the guy, I know it was a high tackle, but the way he threw him to the ground, if that guy's head had hit the ground, he was unconscious, he'd be out for three weeks. And how it wasn't cited, it just beggars belief, really. Yeah. Not having to go at him, you know. Espe- anyway, that's my thought, buddy. <laughs> especially, especially because it happened after the whistle was gone. So the, the play was... The play was dead. There was a free kick that had been awarded about a second earlier, and and he went and did that. So, the umpires ignoring it at, at that particular moment in in the play. I mean, that's. I mean, I guess that can be almost likened to an off the ball um, uh, uh, indiscretion. It, it wasn't off the ball. The ball was right there, but because it was after the whistle had gone, and it was, it was the play was dead. I mean, I just doesn't that doesn't that elevate a little bit the severity of it. It was just, it was amazing, but that's that's what it is. Anyway, um, go Melbourne next year um, and uh, go the Pussycats. I, I think they're going to beat Brisbane. If, if they can play like they did, Dangerfield is a, is a what a, what a machine. Some of those contests he hit at full speed were incredible. Yeah. I no. mean, incredible. <laughs> uh, absolutely, Greg. Thank you. No worries. See you. Thanks. Greg from Blackburn. Patrick Dangerfield, he is probably... Well, I think on the balance of the last three to four years, he is equal first, I want to say. I don't want to say he's absolute number one Dangerfield because Dustin Martin has been absolutely extraordinary. I think on the on the balance of the last three to four years, they've been, you know, you, you can't split them at uh, at number one for the best player in the competition. Dusty's got the two flags. He's got the Norm Smiths. Um, Dangerfield, all he's missing is that premiership. And if he wins it, then he is... He is absolutely right up there. It was funny. I saw a poll somewhere on social media about uh, two or three weeks ago. It might have been even longer than that, two or three weeks ago. Um, and the question, I think, simply was, who is the better player out of A, B, C, and D? And I think Dusty was there. Dangerfield was there. And I think I voted Dangerfield, but because he hadn't won a flag, everyone was voting for the other options. So Dangerfield ended up coming on the on the opinion of the public, ended up finishing about third or fourth in this poll out of about four options. Which I thought, and for for the reason of being not a premiership player, he was seen as in a lesser light, which I think firstly is ridiculous because it's if you're talking about the quality of a player, there have been high quality players over the history of this sport and the history of every single sport in the world where the player, athlete X, hasn't won the championship or the premiership or the final in their uh, in their given sport, but that doesn't mean they're not a good player. So Dangerfield... It, it's not going to detract him if he never ends up uh, with a flag at the end of his career. It's not going to take anything away from his ability as a footballer, but obviously it is nicer. And you'll, in a way, you'll be automatically seen as one of the greats of the game if you can win a premiership. And that's that's what's there on offer for him, obviously. And for Gary Ablett, it could be that uh, he'll get that extra one that he missed out on after he left Geelong all those years ago to go to the Gold Coast Suns. And now with... Uh, pretty much all of his teammates from those flags retired. He'll get that one back and join them as a three premiership, three-time premiership player. Um, Brett Phillips, not far away. Really quickly, let's have a listen to Nathan Buckley from last night talking about Jordan Dugowie's future. We brought this up at the top of the program with Ash Brown from sen.com.au in the record. This is what Bucks had to say about Jordan Dugowie's future. Geordie loves the club and um, he wants to be here. Um, 
elements of people on his side would like to see him remunerated as well as he possibly could and um, you know, and we want him to be rewarded appropriately as well as we do you know, the other 44 blokes on our list for, for what they bring to the table so I, I think that's what it comes down to because it's, it's no, for no lack of belief in what the place um, what the place has done for him, what it brings for him and the opportunity that it provides and the, the, the love and care and connection that he has to to not only the club but in particular his teammates um, um, but yes we, it's there still needs to be a, a monetary um, outcome that's satisfactory for both parties. Do you think you might speak to other clubs as part of that process just to glean what's out there, Bucks? Most players do, yeah. And if they don't, their managers will. Wasn't a totally solid answer. If you're a Collingwood fan who absolutely wants to see Jordan Ngoi stay there at the club until or through next season and beyond exactly the the solid concrete definitive answer that you want to hear he had to you could tell he was thinking his way through that answer Nathan Buckley the cogs were turning Mm, yeah it's it's I think from the sound of that it clearly sounds like they haven't really worked on anything from my I'm sure they've spoken about his contracts at times through this season but it sounds like there's still well, they haven't really been focusing on it just yet. And probably you can understand with Collingwood with the season they've had and, and everything that's happened off the field that there's been other matters at hand before uh, before the contract discussion with Jordan Ngoi. Um Yeah, there's... Uh, would I be surprised if he left? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be totally surprised if, if Jordan Ngoi was at Carlton next season. But I'm not ruling it out. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I would just... It would be a shock. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you want to send in a temper text, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll chat to Brett Phillips from the first serve. After this, we'll also uh, touch on the Bledisloe Cup from earlier tonight. A sixteen all draw between the Wallabies and the All Blacks in one of the more thrilling finishes that you've seen to an international rugby union test match in quite some time. We'll chat NRL later on their weekend. I actually think the rugby league matches from the weekend. As far as uh, excitement goes and quality, we're probably better than the AFL, especially when you compare it to last night's game, a one-sided match, uh, Geelong and Collingwood's, and the NRL match was was far more exciting uh, by by that standard. Um, tennis, as I said, we'll chat a bit of NBA and NFL later on as well. We'll touch on the American sports later on in the program. Jordan Canellis with you Sunday night. SEN, call us, text us. Brett Phillips up next. Sunday nights here on SEN. Jordan Canellis with you. You can continue to send us a text thanks to Temper, 0433981116. A couple quickly before we get to Brett Phillips, who's with us to chat about Roland Garros, but a couple on the uh, the Dusty Dangerfield chat that we had just at the end of last, uh, before, the, before the break, I beg your pardon. Dusty any day of the week. Gets it done and when it matters. Danger can't do it against the best on a big stage. Last night was an easy kill says one. And then uh, Yosef from Essendon says, Dusty destroys Dangerfield. Dangerfield didn't have an opponent yesterday. Pies were cooked. Let's see next week when it counts. Dangerfield will go missing like he did against Port Adelaide, says uh, says Joe. And then Tribe off the text with his tips. Cats by six, Port by six. So a rematch of that 2007 grand final. Uh, he's predicting a goal each. I'd, I'd take that. Absolutely. A goal, the difference in both preliminary finals. I think we'd all take that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six throughout the night to have your say on the phones or you can continue to send us 
texts on 0433981116. Time to chat a bit of tennis, though, and uh, Brett Phillips is with us, thanks to Yonex, who have launched their Naomi Osaka uh, limited edition E-Zone rackets, as used by her at the recent US Open. Limited release, limited number available. Check with your check with your local Yonex dealer. Brett Phillips here on SEN. Welcome, BP. Thank you, Jordan. Nice to chat. Another unbelievable story at Roland Garros on the women's side. It's been a it's been a roller coaster last fortnight. It's been fun to watch, and it ends with a 19 year old winning the women's singles title. Tell us about Iga Swiatek against Sofia Kennan and how it went down last night. Great story, isn't it? Really good story. I mean, uh, Polish tennis. We had Agnieszka Radwanska uh, for many years. You know, really good player. Made a Wimbledon final. Got to world number two. Won the tour finals. One of the most popular players on the tour. She. Played a different sort of brand of tennis, uh, lots of touch and feel, and uh, was very different to the hard hitters of her generation. And yeah, obviously she didn't quite get there, but Iga's been able to upstage her. And you know, this story really started when I went to Roland Garros last year because you know she made the fourth round, played Simona Halep, uh, she got towed up that day, but we knew something special was uh, brewing. You know, she won the Wimbledon Juniors. Uh, she'd made a natural progression through the ITF Tour onto the WTA Tour. It was swiftly inside the top 100, and you could see the trajectory going in the right direction. I mean, what an amazing fortnight, Jordy, uh, to win you know all their matches in straight sets, the first since Justine Ennen to do that at Roland Garros in the open era, and just demolishing her opponents with a beautiful mixture of offensive uh, tennis with great defending, uh, touch, power, Uh, Just a really complete package. And a young girl who, as the tournament sort of went on, got a bit of a swagger, but nothing that was too cocky or overconfident. It was a nice swagger and an air of confidence that, yep, I absolutely belong on this big stage around some more accomplished players who have got a better resume than I have. And um, no, she's, uh, look, who knows what's going to happen because... We thought, you know, Ash Barty was going to get on an absolute roll. We probably thought Yelena Rostopenko, when she won the French back in 2017, was maybe going to start to peel off a few majors. But, you know, since Serena won the Australian Open back in 2017, her last major, apart from Halep and uh, also Osaka, who have won two apiece, the rest have all been debutants. So Andrescu, Barty, uh, Sviantec, uh, Wozniacki breaking through for the first time, Sloane Stephens broke through at the US Open, Rostopenko, I mentioned, so um, it's been an incredible era in women's tennis. So I, and we're waiting for one of them to maybe really start to win uh, a lot of majors. But I don't know if that's going to happen because the competition is so deep and there's a lot of hungry players out there. Yeah, that's the thing. This, this is just now another great young player, so it appears anyway, to win a, a slam at 19, who now gets added to the pool, the, the ever-growing pool of of elite women's tennis players. There's still some of the older campaigners who are there, like Kvitova, who are still dominating, and and obviously Serena Williams is, is going to be there for, you know, who knows, maybe another year or two perhaps. Um, uh, plus all the others, the regulars, I guess, like Simona Halep and now Ash Barty. And then the youngsters who are coming through, we've seen Naomi Osaka in the last two years. Now we're seeing Iga Swiatek on top of many others. Yep. This is now just a, a, a pool of players that continues to grow on the women's side. Yeah, and they're fearless. They're not playing the reputation or the resume on the other side of the net. They're just playing another competitor and they're backing their games in. Uh, you know, they've come through the system. Uh, they're, they're sort of really, uh, really settled on the big stage and they get in their own little bubble and they just back their game in. And that's what you love. I mean, I, look, I've said it numerous times 
in the last uh, probably five to six weeks, maybe beyond that, I, I think Serena's done. I don't think she gets to 24. The competition's too hot, and she's 39. I mean, it's just mm. trying to win seven matches in two weeks. Uh, you mentioned, you know, for the likes of a Kvitova. I mean, if you look at Petra's career, I thought, gee, she probably deserves to win a couple more majors to add to those two Wimbledon trophies, which feel like an eternity ago now. She's had that opportunity at the Australian Open and obviously getting deep here, but couldn't couldn't quite get there uh, to another final. So even it's becoming harder, we've seen Kerber, you know, sort of drop off the pace in the last couple of years. So there's a new wave and there's probably another batch uh, coming behind and probably some names right here and now that we aren't 100% sure of who are the next Iga Sviontek's who are uh, coming through on the ITF tour. Sviontek winning the women's singles is probably a, a finish that um, I reckon befits the pattern of the women's tournament this year with so many big names being knocked out early and a handful of, of lower-ranked players and wild cards and qualifiers making it to the latter stages. I think from the quarterfinals on, there was, what, only three seeded players um, mm. from the third last stage of the of the event. So it was... It was a, a tournament for the women's that was um, that was surprising. I guess it, it happens semi often. I guess in women's tennis, where big names get knocked out. But for, I don't know for some reason this year, BP, it felt like it happened yep. at an even greater level. Yeah, and look, certainly there were a few there that would normally have been there. A few out, uh, obviously with Barty and Osaka and Andrescu inside the uh, the top ten. So that certainly opened the door up for more players to come through. But yeah, the French has got a history of producing players who go deeper there than any other slam or who have no impact at any other slam. And some of those are sort of the specialist clay quarters or others who just happen to peak in that fortnight in Paris and have a, a blowout performance that um, we can't see coming and often doesn't get repeated. So, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, we talk about all the grand slams and their points of difference. Uh, the French has often thrown up on both sides, the men's and the women's, some amazing winners. I mean, I was looking back the other day, uh, 30 years on the men's side since a guy called Andres Gomez won the uh, French Open. You think, God, 1990, uh, what happened there? I mean, how did he, <laughs> how did he break through and win? And then the French has got a lot of those. Yeah, my, my mind uh, straight away went to Yelena Ostapenko because she was the same age back in, what, four years ago when she won the French Open, and that was yeah. the same circumstances, and she beat Simona Halep on that day. So that was that was the that was the initial link that I made in my mind. I'll tell you what's interesting. If I look at Iga, her game, compared to an Ostapenko, so Ostapenko comes on the scene, and, yeah, that, that, that tournament was amazing, and she just hit the absolute cover off the ball. I mean, just trying to paint winners left, right, and centre. You know, close your eyes sort of stuff. And if you look at her since then, I mean, she's just drifted down into sort of just that, that pack of players. And she really hasn't added a plan B or added any dimensions. I did notice, though, when she knocked over Plishkova early doors that maybe she's added a little bit more patience, which she certainly needed. But if I look at Sviontek's um, game, you know, she's got lots of components there that she could go to throughout the course of a match, crank the fire up, firepower up when she needed it play a little more conservatively when she needed it, add a bit of feel, a bit of touch, just move the ball around. And, you know, I think that's um, that's the comparison I would probably draw there, that I, I maybe see more of an upside to this young girl actually staying up around that sort of maybe top 20 for a little while and keep knocking on the door rather than really drop away like an Ostapenko has. But we'll, uh, we'll wait and see how it all unfolds. Did I hear that, uh, that Ash Barty, despite not playing much tennis at all this year and, and missing the Grand Slams, will retain the year-end number one rank? Yeah, Halep uh, had to win it to pass her. So as soon as Simona uh, bombed out, 
uh, Ash can just keep sipping Carlton drafts in the air at the gather. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just having a great time. Pretty easy way to the do Tigers. it. <laughs> <laughs> the men's final tonight at midnight, Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal. Pretty more straightforward, I guess, on the men's side compared to the women's. There was a lot of the top seeds ended up making the quarterfinals and semifinals on. Um, mm. Djokovic and Nadal, um, this, there's a lot on the line in terms of records here because now they all start to edge closer towards Roger Federer and there's those all-time uh, tennis rankings and records. What happens tonight? Well, I'm going to have to have a banana nap. Oh, I don't want to miss a ball of this one, so I'm going to have to have a little kip uh, tonight. This is going to be uh, this is going to be something else. Uh, Djokovic, I mean, he's 37 and one. We know where the one came from at the U.S. Open. So apart from that, he's looked unbeatable. I would say though that I think a little hindrance to Djokovic is having to play that extra couple of hours against Carino Buster. He could have won that in straight sets. Had a little bit of uh, a little bit of issue with the neck and the shoulder. He spent a couple of hours out on court that he could have maybe conserved. Um, he's one and seven at uh, Roland Garros. So what he can go to sleep with is that I have beaten Rafa before. I'm only one of two. He's ninety nine and two, which is an unbelievable record. Uh, however way you look at a twelve time winner, but he knows Djokovic. He can beat Nadal. And the heavier conditions right now, that ball not bouncing as high the change of ball, although it hasn't affected Rafa, even though he was complaining about the Babalat uh, ball compared to the Wilson ball at the start of the tournament. He's looked flawless, really. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to certainly say Nadal is the favourite, but this is the time that Djokovic could absolutely take his scalp. Um, we know that he's got the superior record on uh, hard courts. They're four apiece in major finals, so you know they've played, obviously, some incredible matches at that level, but obviously Rafa, like he does against everyone, Jordan holds the clay court advantage, 17-7 and seven, uh, head-to-head and 9-6 uh, in the major finals. Nadal uh, has the edge, but look, I, I think if Novak can start really well, get a, a set under his belt and come out um, just playing his brand of tennis uh, he, he knows how to beat Nadal. It's a tougher assignment, certainly on the clay, but he knows how to grind him. He knows how to push Nadal back um, with that great depth, accuracy, and he's got to take his chances when they're there. I, I just hope physically he can uh, he can be cherry ripe for this one because it would be huge. I mean, to put him at 18, Rafa 19, Roger 20, just makes that real three-way uh, conversation to see who will um, absolutely uh, have the most. And if uh, Rafa wins to get tied with Roger, uh, would be uh, a nice little uh, prelude to hopefully the Australian Open and both uh, being there and trying to go one ahead of each other. Could be uh, could be an advantage to Nadal, perhaps, that Djokovic dropped a couple of sets in his last matches and went all the way mm. with uh, Tsitsipas in the semifinals. Uh, to yep. a five-set match. Other men's tennis, but this time the quad wheelchairs and a great result for Australia that Dylan Alcott has won his 11th Grand Slam. He did, yeah. I mean, he just keeps racking up records. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? They, they, they sort of call his... Uh, his well, they call it a rivalry with Andy Lapthorne from Great Britain. It's a domination. It's a bit like Serena Williams over Shara Poban, to be totally honest. I think it's 31-7 now, the head-to-head. So these two always find themselves in the finals. They play in doubles finals together. They're good mates. They know each other really, really well. Look, hats off to him. He uh, has become the best in that division, that quad division. Uh, and, you know, he's um, a great ambassador for, you know, people um, playing sport with a disability and raising that awareness. So I absolutely take my hat off to him. 
but it's uh, apart from that one US Open match last year when he was going for the record to win all four in the one year. Well, actually went into court 17, and Andy Lapthorn beat him. I think it was six love six one. He thought, what on earth happened? Uh, but apart from that match, he's pretty much looked unbeatable every time I see him play, Dylan. So uh, yeah, well done. What's coming up this week on the first serve, and uh, and when can we hear it? Yeah, back on air, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, Judy. So you'll have lots uh, to wrap on the on the French. Uh, so we'll discuss that in a, in a fair bit of depth. And uh, there's plenty bubbling around uh, domestically, uh, grassroots. Uh, I know there's been a petition which has attracted about five or 6,000 signatures to try and have tennis reinstated here in Melbourne. Uh, well, as much as I'd love to share the optimism, uh, good luck trying to press anything through the Andrews government. So I think they're going to probably get going to get uh, the uh, the no call there until uh, everything else opens up. But yeah, we'll discuss everything from abroad and domestic tomorrow night from seven. Excellent, BP. Thank you very much, and we'll uh, we'll hear you tomorrow night. Thanks, Jordan. Brett Phillips with us from the first serve Monday nights. You can listen to that live on SEN, and you can podcast it as well at sen.com.au. Um, uh, actually, just a text that's come through since we hung up from BP. Uh, I know Rafa ended up beating him in straight sets, but I'd love to know Brett's thoughts on Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner, well, I'll give you my uh, untrained thought. Yannick Sinner, 19 years old. Uh, the players from the nations in the Central European region, like Italy, Spain, France even, will, will often do a lot better on clay uh, than most other um, surfaces because they are brought up. Uh, there, uh, I remember watching a bit of Yannick Sinner, I think, at the Oz Open earlier this year. For a 19, so there was a 19-year-old winner on the women's side. Men's side's a lot tougher when you've got to face Djokovic and Nadal along the way. But for Yannick Sinner to make a quarterfinal in his, what, fourth Grand Slam ever, I reckon there's something there. He's got he's got a bit of height. He's six foot two. So there's there's something there. But, um, yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll maybe maybe send in a text to BP tomorrow night to get his uh, his trained uh, thought on Yannick Sinner, but he's definitely a name to watch though. There's they've got a handful of Italian tennis players that's are uh, they're quite plucky the Italian tennis players. I think of Andrea Seppi all the time. It's he's you know a guy who's ranked always in the, the mids of the top hundreds, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, but he's always a tricky tricky opponent to come up against. And now they've got some some handy tennis players up near the top or the upper ends like uh, Berrettini and Cecchinato who are up there as well. So maybe Yannick Sinner's about to join the crew of, uh, of Italian tennis players going around. A break here on Sunday nights on SEN, one 736 736 to call, 0433 We'll talk both rugby's, a bit of American sport as well, and much more this evening on SEN. You've got to say the writing's on the wall. Australia over it. It comes out. Somehow they've defended. How's that work? Australia's got it back. Get it out. Yeah, get Just it out. kick it out and take the draw. <laughs> the crowd are booing. I don't know why. What about that? I think it's a great escape by New Zealand. But then in the end, the same applies to Australia. These two teams have played themselves to a standstill. It's a 16-all draw. It certainly was in Bledisloe 1 just a couple of hours ago over at the Cake Tin in Wellington. The the Wallabies and the All Blacks, a 16-all draw. The first of four Bledisloe Cup matches we'll see this year. Two of them stand alone. The second two, which will be on Australian shores, will also tie in with the Rugby Championship. And what a way to uh, introduce, I suppose, the new era of Wallabies um, to uh, to Dave Rennie and to all the new players and some of the new players or players who have now got grander roles in the Wallabies team to this uh, to this next gen uh, unbelievable entertainment. There were three. 
football codes that we saw played this weekend, AFL finals, NRL finals, and rugby union. And up until, well, pretty much the end of that rugby union game, I reckon the NRL had it, but that one rugby union game, I reckon, gave us the most, uh, the biggest drama and the greatest excitement over the course of the weekend. And to chat about it with us is rugby commentator and host of the Aussie Rugby Show, Sean Maloney, who's with us on SEN. Hello, Sean. Hello, mate. I'm on my fifth or sixth just trying to console myself after <laughs> what should have been a Wallabies win in so many regards. They got in that game as 9-1 outsiders and almost did the impossible over there in NZ this afternoon. So one that so could easily have gone the way of the green and gold. Tell us what happened at the end of the match because it, oh, it was, <laughs> there was the first half where looked like all, all blacks and then the Wallabies through some great James O'Connor play, mind you, but they, they got so close. They, they sure did. So it was 8-3 at the half time, but there was huge drama right on that siren at the break with uh, Try being taken off the board from New Zealand. Rico Ioane losing control as he went over untouched across the line. And then they uh, they got across the line again and make it 13-3 in that second half. Then uh, Australia rumbled to life through... Uh, both Mariki Korobidi and Filippo Daungunuk. This is a great story, the one of Filippo Daungunuk. Formerly a New, Z- uh, New Zealand, rather, a uh, Fijian uh, goalkeeper in football and soccer, now playing on the wing for the Wallabies. He got across the stripe as well. They set up a 16-13 lead. New Zealand make it 16-16. And then Reese Hodge has a chance, three minutes, in the injury time to win it and hits the post from 55. And then we had madness late. Ten minutes, I think we went ten minutes in an injury time. It was it was a blood as low, the likes of which none of us have ever seen before. It was insane. It was uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, we had the, both wingers, both Fijian origins, scored the, the tries. And then, yeah, that was unbelievable. Reese Hodge, he's, he is the super boot of Australian rugby, though, isn't he? So he was behind the halfway line to have a shot at a penalty goal to win the match. And he's hit the post in wet conditions. God, that was so close. And then, and then not, it bounced and, back and into play. Yeah, and not just, and not just that. He hit that right-hand upright around three-quarters of the way up the pole as well. So um, he absolutely nailed that shot, just caught the woodwork. As you say, it fell into the field of play. Australia scrambled. They were really, really unlucky not to be awarded another penalty right in front of the sticks uh, in that scramble for the ball. And then, of course, New Zealand swung into action. It takes the other end, and eventually it was uh, knocked in a touch, I think, by James O'Connor to, uh, to leave us with that draw, which is... Which is quite a result. I know that Dave Rennie's already said that they were upset that they've come away with it with a, a D instead of a W. Um, but it gives us all a little bit of hope. Next week, they're off to Eden Park. I mean, obviously, there's those extra two games to come back on our shores. So so we live. We live to fight another. What does that do for our record? It's not a win, but what, what was the Wallabies' records uh, in overall, or just in recent times anyway, against New Zealand in New Zealand? Best left untouched. And... Um, <laughs> And let's, and let's not get into the record at Eden Park uh, yeah. in recent times either because it makes it a depressing reading. But what we saw today from a team that has that great mix now of youngsters coming through, four debutants, all of which played really, really well, including Filippo Dangun and Hunter Paisami and a couple of others, um, mixed in with guys like Michael uh, Hooper who played his 100th game for Australia today. So that mix is going really well and Dave Rennie had them uh, had them fighting tough from the outset and and again like we've got to remember they came back from that big deficit 
in that second half, which is something that not many teams in World yeah. Rugby are able to uh, to conjure up. And Australia really did their country proud this afternoon. Absolutely, yeah. Filippo Donguni looks his uh, pace and power on the wings. He's definitely mm. one to stay, I think, for the Wallabies. So Dave Rennie, as you said, he's the new coach of the Wallabies. What From what you saw, what was in game one, hopefully of a long career for Dave Rennie as the Wallabies coach, what was the clear change, if there was, between Checkers Wallabies and Rennie's Wallabies? You know what? They stuck to their game plan from the outset. And admittedly, the Wallabies did that under Czech as well. But the game plan under Czech in the later uh, games of his tenure didn't, it didn't work out. Whereas the one that they went in with today, uh, they stuck to it. They didn't get flustered when they fell behind. They they looked composed, whereas teams, uh, whereas all these teams in the last couple of years have kind of been flustered in those situations. And they just dug in and they had a crack. And then when they when they got that levity of uh, territory and position as well, they're able to do some really nice things with it and execute well. So uh, it was it was just nice to see. It was really nice to see as a Wallabies supporter and commentator for such a long team that they'd hang in there, hang in that fight for so long and very nearly come away with what would have been... I would have had in there as one of the all-time Bledisloe upsets if they had have come away with the W this afternoon, but they uh, they got the draw and uh, we, we get to have another crack next week. Even before this test match, it's hard to tell when we haven't played international rugby for so long. Normally, we would have played a couple of tests in the mid-year window. I think Ireland, we were scheduled to play. That got thrown out the window. Yep. Um, but... For Dave Rennie to come in now, and, and the squad looks a lot different. Obviously, there's players that have left to go over to Europe, but does this feel already in these very early stages like the fresh start that the Wallabies need on field? It does, and it felt that way when he was initially announced as well. It just you, you would speak to him. I would speak to guys over in NZ who'd seen him do his thing with the Chiefs and obviously uh, has been doing his thing up in Scotland for a long while now, and they all speak about the way that he's so talented in bringing that, I hate using the word, but culture becomes the number one thing for Dave Rennie. And he has, he's nailed that. They look really cohesive to that. They looked a happy team, which is um, so important. Obviously, that was not the case through the latter stages of uh, Czech's uh, role there with Wallabies. So they look happy and they would have obviously been a lot happier this afternoon had uh, Hodges kick had been three inches to the left but I really feel like this is a chance for us to to jump in now and get behind him because I'll give another red hot shake at Eden Park. James O'Connor his match tonight he effectively set up both tries he was the direct uh, provider for Marika Corabetti saw the width out wide the the All Blacks defense was a bit narrow and Corabetti did well to exploit the space O'Connor found him and then and then James O'Connor again he he went on a run that picked up a couple of meters to set up the, uh, the second try, which was, by the way, a great pass from Nick White to give that little scoop to mm. Dorgunu. Um, but James O'Connor at fly half, how important was that move? Now that he's in there, he's back in the Rugby Australia scene. He's got a, he's got a, a wise head now on his 30-year-old shoulders. And he's, um, he's back playing elite rugby. How important is his role in the Wallaby side? Uh, so, so big, so big. And it's been a, a fairly well-travelled path that brought him back to that number 10 jersey with Australia. If we contrast that performance today with uh, what he offered up in his last game in the 10 jersey for Australia back in 2013, the British and Irish Lions, I mean, they're not even in the same uh, ballpark. So that elevation of experience and know-how and composure was just so, uh, so 
at the forefront this afternoon. So he was he was terrific. I mean, he was wonderful. There was there was a bunch of them. Nick White, he touched on his pass to uh, Dan Gurner earlier. Like he was excellent. His box kicking was right on the button. So that combination, uh, Matt Tamil was probably one who will step away from that game in that 12 jersey. He probably would like to have had a few things that he could perhaps correct in that next game. But they've now got that experience, 9, 10, 12, of guys who know how to settle into it and to test teams like the All Blacks. And it's, it's exciting stuff. Sean, we got damn close today, hopefully. Not many international teams go over to Eden Park and beat New Zealand there, but... Hey, we can always hope. <laughs> Everything you have left for next Sunday, cross it for me, mate. Cross <laughs> it, and we'll hope that we can get across the line against the might of the All Blacks and spring that Bledisloe Cup Series to life in 2020. Excellent stuff, Sean. A pleasure talking to you tonight. Have a good weekend. See you, buddy. Sean Maloney, rugby commentator with us here on SEN this Sunday night. Gee, that was a good game. There was controversy everywhere. I think the fact that it stayed a low-scoring game as well helped the drama and helped certainly the Wallabies. Yeah, there was in the first half, there were a couple of little issues there that have, that have persisted with the Wallabies, even under Michael Checker with the set-piece plays, the line-outs were a bit wobbly. The defence was, was a little bit wobbly as well, but that second half, James O'Connor, he was a star, and Filippo Dorgunu on debut looks an absolute gun on the wing. Plenty of power. He could find the metres. We'll take a break here on SEN this Sunday night. Give us a call. Send us a text. Still the other rugby to go. We'll chat to Scott Sattler about the NRL semifinals this weekend, and then we'll head over and chat about American sports after seven. SEN Sunday nights, Jordan Canellis. You are this Sunday night. Jordan Canellis with you. You can send in a text on 0433981116, or you can give us a call on one three hundred seven three six seven three six, Scott Sattler, NRL Nation uh, analyst, coming up in just a moment where we will analyse the semi-finals from the last two days and then preview the preliminary finals in which the Melbourne Storm will be involved. Melbourne Storm against Canberra and then Penrith against the South Sydney Rabbitohs, which will be two very fascinating matchups. Unlike the AFL, uh, two of the top four have been eliminated. It's one and two and five and six. Uh, from the ladder in the NRL finals. So it's a slightly different looking NRL finals series and preliminary finals on the way next weekend. Uh, football analyst from Frankston off the text says, I would have Patrick Dangerfield in my team over Dustin Martin every day of the week because Danger is a much better on and off field team leader and he gets more quality possessions than Dusty on the field. There you go. There's an analysis there from the football analyst from Frankston. Uh, Justin from WA says, if Jordan Degoe goes to Carlton, I'll spew up. As the great Plough once said, Car- do Carlton become an instant finals uh, contender next season? Even with or without Jordan Degoe, do they? Because Zach Williams comes in, Adam Saad comes in. So now they, Cade Simpson was a great, great servant to the club. And he provided width because he would move out and drift out into some wide positions across halfback. But Adam Saad gives him or gives the team now some extra. Uh, an extra dimension now in speed. So they've got the width, they've got the speed. There's a like-for-like replacement from Simpson to Saad. Williams will play in midfield. If Dugowie comes in as well, and there's there's been sort of rumblings about maybe Carlton will go for a midfielder. I know Clayton Oliver's name has been brought up. I don't know how solid that one is, but the looks, I don't know. I just, I, I won't be surprised at all if the Blues go for another mid. So even with the first two, Williams and Saad, they come in. Do Carlton, you, would you put them in your top eight? If you were to do your preseason predictions, do you put them in the top eight? If Dugowie comes in, 
how far into the top eight, how high up the ladder do you put Carlton if you are indeed to put them into the finals? Um, there you go. What were your thoughts on some of the bizarre, deliberate out-of-bounds calls by the umpires in the two games? Uh, I noticed I noticed more in the Richmond-St. Kilda game. Yeah, a bit bizarre. There was a couple there where you go, oh, yeah, I can see how that was out-of-bounds deliberate, but you, you wouldn't really... Like the Dougal Howard one where he, in the first quarter, he kind of kind of made out, I think, I don't know if he actually slipped. He made out to look like he slipped and then just sort of went out of play. I mean, look, technically it's deliberate out of bounds. We all know that those are deliberate out of bounds. They are deliberately trying to make it look like they are not being deliberate, but it's deliberate. And then there was the Nathan Broad one where he was running along the boundary line and he was holding the ball in the field of play to look to say, hey, look, the ball's still in play, but my body's not. And then he eventually got run out or he ran himself out of play. Bizarre. I don't know if technically by the letter of the law, those were incorrect decisions, but, you know, in in previous footballing years, you would just let it go because it's not that big of an issue, I think. I, I, I reckon umpires are very, very particular about deliberate out of bounds and it's kind of annoying, to be honest. Um, how many high tackles have been reported in recent times? None. Zach Jones punched short in the face in a high tackle attempt, yet there's no media on that. The focus on Richmond players by the media at the moment is outrageous, says Anonymous of the text. I don't know if there hasn't been any media. I think people have certainly talked about the Cochin and Zach Jones incident, and it is still the weekend, so wait for tomorrow. That'll be brought up in all the all of the news cycles and the radio shows, and you listen in to Waitley on the Monday means test, and I'm sure they'll dissect it to within an inch of its life. So I think it's just the fact that there's, we're still in the weekend. There's still other sport going on. Media people have probably got the day off. So wait for tomorrow. You'll definitely hear a lot more talk about that one because that's when the, the footy cycle starts to really churn away is when Monday hits. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. We'll take a break. Scott Sattler coming up next to analyse the NRL semifinals. Sunday night, SEN, Jordan Canellis. You can give us a call, one 736 736 or send us a text on zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen couple that are already coming through on Carlton on where you think the Blues will finish next season if they do pick up the three players they will pick up two of them I that's highly linked but Jordan to go if he's to go to the Blues how far into the top eight if they are to make the top eight do you predict they will uh, they'll go zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen well up until up until the Bledisloe Cup early today and I'll have to make this concession early I, it does hurt me to do it but up until the Bledisloe Cup today I thought the best game of any football code in Australia over the course of the weekend was uh, Friday night's NRL semi-final between uh, the South Sydney uh, pardon me between the Sydney Roosters and the Canberra Raiders probably just usurped by the Wallabies and the All Blacks but hey this was still a phenomenal game of football and it's been a phenomenal final series so far in the NRL. Scott Sattler has seen plenty of it for NRL Nation this season, and he's with us here on SEN. Hello, Sats. How you doing? I'm good, Jordan. Yeah, you're right. It's been a, uh, an unbelievable two weeks of, of NRL finals. Friday night was a thriller. I want to start there first because the Roosters, they are the reigning premiers. They wobbled a little bit in the last few weeks. Their form was decent, but that annihilation at the hands of the Rabbitohs in the last week... Then an exhausting match against the Penrith Panthers, and they took on the Raiders on Friday night. It was it was a great match, full of high quality tries. How did you how did you assess the uh, the Friday night semi final? Yeah, the last three weeks have been interesting, hasn't it? I think, like you said, that game against South Sydney where they were beaten by sixty that that took their mojo out of them, 
and uh, they lost their swagger after that game. And then the game against the Penrith Panthers in the first week of the finals, that was a real physical battle. So it took it a lot of um, a lot of energy out of them. And then they come up against a really fast-moving Canberra side, and they just weren't able able to. Um, together any momentum now they're courageous but we just know that courage doesn't win you all the games so my biggest concern for the Roosters is they've got some real key players that are just a one they're, they're one year old and they're just a little bit battle weary and I think you can see it, uh, in their game at the moment but uh, yeah they, they nearly snatched that one on Friday night the Canberra Raiders but they are so impressive I you know, I know they lost Josh Hodgson to a knee injury at the start of the year and have been all year without him their, their hooker but I think they're they're nearly a better side than last year with a, a better halfback and also no BJ Lalua that's, that's coming up with really uh, really bad unforced errors. Uh, so Canberra Raiders will play against the Melbourne Storm this week and, and what will be another bruising battle. But it was I thought the Penrith and Roosters game, Jordan, was was one of the best semi-final games I've seen in a long, a long time. That I thought I thought it was toppled last Friday night with the Canberra Roosters game. It was even better. Yeah. What What do you think was the pivotal moment for Canberra in this match? They got off to an early start. The Roosters came back a little bit, and then it was it was try for try pretty much in the last twenty minutes. I think the pivotal moment is um, they lose a lot of momentum when they take off. They take off Josh Papali and Joseph Tarpanay. They've got to try and find a way to leave one of them on the field for a longer period of time or maybe start one of them off the bench um, because I thought the pivotal moment in the game is when Papali went off. And then when he came back on, that's when they were able to um, get a lot of momentum through just through his sheer involvement. Um, you got an aura about him that opposition teams don't like to play against. So although that was that was a pivotal moment, you know, is and also the, the involvement of Jack White. Now, the try that he scored where uh, James Tedesco ran past the ball, slipped over, and you oh. never see James Tedesco do that again in his career. But <laughs> it, it's probably just a, a window into the how the, the, the Roosters have been going at the back, back quarter of the season. Yeah, I almost forgot about that try. That was unbelievable. James, yeah. James Tedesco was involved in a great fullback matchup on the night as well. Some have said that Charles Nickel Klockstad, the fullback of the Canberra Raiders, that might have been the best NRL game he's played so far in his career. He's 25 years old. He was impressive, not only in attack, but in defence. The amount of try-saving tackles he made deep in the corners to save him. I think he made two crucial try-saving tackles. That was, again, not only on attack, but on defence, the Raiders. They were doing you know things that you expect to see in finals, but even one step further, and, and he exemplified that. Well, that's the, you know, when we're fans, we look at all the involvements we see in attack, but it's, it's those last-ditch efforts, the, uh, the efforts in defence that, that are ones that end up becoming a little bit of a defining moment in, in club seasons. And when Morris is running down their left wing, uh, it would have equaled the scores 22-22 all. And the last gasp effort of, of Chancic or Klockstad, if you look at um, changing uh, changing moments of, of the final series, if they end up going through and winning this comp, which they they could do the Canberra Raiders. That'll be the key moment that they'll look back on as being the the, the moment that changed their uh, finals campaign. Yesterday's match was even more of a shootout, highest scoring between the Eels and the Rabbitohs. South Sydney put the foot down and, and motored away against an undermanned Eels side in the second half. Firstly, for the Eels, was that with some of their big names out, Blake Ferguson was out, Michael Jennings as well, we'll chat about in a second, but was that better than what you expected given their omissions? Um, it, it probably was actually without their two big wingers as well. You know, they're, 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 as you alluded to, I think it, it did surprise me how how good they actually went because 
you know, it was, they were asked a pretty big question before the game, the morning of the game, when their coach rings them all individually to tell them that that um, that their uh, that their star centre is going to be out because of the reason he's out as well. That's a real shock to you to the system and, and emotionally and psychologically you would have felt they would have been down on the morning of the game. So to be able to really fight against the elements and then and then put up the effort they did it was um you know, it, it shows that the the club has got a lot of character. But in saying that, I just they get the key punt moments of the game, Parramatta Eels, when they've got to really they've got to roll their sleeves up, get into the trenches and bunker down and unfortunately they don't have the ability to do that. They they would rather be the, the prettiest team in the competition rather than rather than one of the hardest working and they've got to get over that in the in the off season. Brad Brad Arthur, their coach, has got to make some pretty t- tough decisions on some of their key players and what he does with them in 2021 moving forward. Most notably, probably Reid Marnie, their hooker, and, and also uh, Mitch Moses. So the Roosters and the Eels are a little bit vulnerable this weekend, and now we've got one, two, five, and six from the ladder in the finals. How unexpected is this final four? Uh, finishing in the final four, did you say, Jordan? Yeah, in, yeah, in the preliminary finals. Oh, uh, so the two games, obviously, that we've got, I mean, you'd like, you'd, you'd just think that the, the teams get the weekend off and most, they always pretty much do most years. They end up going through the grand final because one, they get the, they get the week off, they get the opportunity to, to recharge their batteries and, um, and that's what uh, Melbourne and, and Penrith Panthers have got to, got this week. But you know what, I, this South Sydney side is just, you know, they're, they're flying under the radar in a sense that, you know, finishing what fifth at the end of the or sixth at the end of the regular season, uh, you think that they'd end up running out of steam. But their, their most most valuable attribute is their coach Wayne Bennett. You know, he sits in the stand, he and when he talks to his team, he keeps them really, really calm and composed. And what he does really do really well in big games, he takes all the noise out of the team. He takes a lot of the, the attention onto himself and. Um, and allows the players just to really play a real simple brand of rugby league. And the scary part about South last night, Jordan, is that some of their key players had really quiet games. Like Reynolds and, and Walker, Alex Johnston had a really quiet game as yeah. well. And that's that's quite scary for the Penrith Panthers this week. But, you know, to finish one and two, is a, it's, a, it's a blessing to finish one and two to have that weekend off. The, uh, so the preliminary finals, the, the matchups themselves, the Raiders face the Storm and then it's uh, the Panthers against the Rabbitohs. What are the tips here? Because the Raiders have been a bit of a bogey side for the Melbourne Storm especially. That's the first game on Friday. Yeah, they have and I think they know it as well. Um, the Melbourne Storm, I think the different thing that, that, that about this this year is that they're playing at Suncorp Stadium and the, the Canberra Raiders have never really feared Amy Park in Melbourne. So playing at Suncorp, I think, plays into the hands of, of the Melbourne Storm. Uh, they've never been beaten in Queensland. so um, And the Canberra Raiders know that also. But their, their coach, Ricky Stewart, just prepares them for battle really well. But as Melbourne saw, they would have, they've got a lot of experienced players that have played you know, 100, 150-odd games more, you know, more than per, per player, more than a lot of the Raiders play. So they're used to this style of footy. They're also battle-hardened. So they would have enjoyed the weekend off and... I think Melbourne are going to win the game just merely merely because they had the they've had the weekend off. So mm. I think Melbourne will get over top of the Raiders. But I tell you what, I don't think there's going to be a lot of points in it. I think it's going to be one of those real those real um, those real war of, a real war of attrition. And then the Penrith and Rabbitohs game. Penrith, the best team all season, only lost the one game against the Rabbitohs. Who are are they peaking at the right time? The Rabbitohs. 
Well, you, you've got to remember in round 19, they got beaten by the Bulldogs who were coming last at that stage. So they're actually not coming in with the form that everyone sort of keeps uh, keeps spruiking about. They're beaten by the Bulldogs. They lacked the, the Roosters by, by 60 and then had that really good win in week one of the finals against the Newcastle Knights and then last night. So, yeah, they, they're coming with a lot of confidence. The best part about them, like I said, is Wayne Bennett. Um, can you continue to to go back to the well and find the same form? Well, yeah, the coach will, will say that this team, like he has over the last 24 hours, doesn't know when they're beat, which is a really good attribute to have. Um, but this Penrith Panthers side, you know, they're the winks of 2020. It's like yeah. backing against winks in a race. You know, he's never been beaten, and this team hasn't been beaten in a long time also. I anticipate that the Penrith Panthers will, will beat the Rabbits tonight. They've got a better they've got a better defensive unit also than Parramatta as well. So I think they'll be able to flush out a lot of South attacking raids. So I think there'll be a lot of points scored, but I think this Panthers side they're they're pretty special. Last one for you, Scott. The uh, the Melbourne Storm captain Cam Smith hasn't made an official uh, official statement yet, but is it as good as uh, as done that he will be retiring at the end of this season? Um, yeah, I've sort of been saying for a few weeks now that he's. Uh, that um that I, I thought that he he'd retire for a number of reasons um for a number of reasons I just think that uh, like the some of the Roosters plays sometimes he can go just a year too long and it's a long it's a long pre-season and a long season you know you play 26 28 games and you're playing grand finals and you know and then another pre-season it takes a lot out of your body when you get into your 30s so yeah I, I anticipate that he'll announce his retirement in the next uh, week and a half I think and um. And I don't think a lot of people are saying that he may come back for Origin. I don't think he'll do that. I just think he'll he'll uh, he believes his team can win the comp this year. If they win the comp, I think he'll definitely call time. If he, they don't win the comp, I think it'll take just a little bit longer to make that announcement. So yeah, I've got, I've got no doubt he'll retire, and again, uh, no doubt go down as our, our greatest player we've ever seen. Well, hopefully for his sake and for the Melbourne Storm's sake, that can go all the way, but we will have great preliminary finals either way ahead this upcoming weekend. Scott, thank you very much for your time, and we'll hear you on NRL Nation. Anytime, Jordan. Thanks, mate. Scott Sattler with us, NRL Nation analyst with us here on SEN this Sunday night, and you can listen to NRL Nation. Uh, If it's not in your area, your region, you can listen to it on the SEN app. The little uh, NRL Nation logo does appear on the SEN app and you can stream it as the games are on and you can hear the expert comments of Scott Sattler during the game. So that's uh, next Friday and Saturday night, the Storm against the Raiders first up and then the Panthers against the Rabbitohs on the Saturday night. It will promise to be some, uh, some, some great, great football, I'm sure, and the, the news yesterday from the Parramatta Eels uh, just before their match started against the Rabbitohs was that Michael Jennings was handed a provisional suspension from the NRL for breaching the league's anti-doping policy. They handed him a suspension after he returned a positive A sample for Ligandrol and Ibutamorin. Ligandrol was the um, the substance that Shana Jack had taken uh, about a year ago. Both substances registered as prohibited under the WADA and NRL's anti-doping policy. So on top of both wingers being out, Ferguson and Mike Acevo, Michael Jennings was also out and the Eels eliminated. Texts and calls up next. We'll uh, have a chat to Ben Graham very shortly as well. Just a few texts quickly. Bring in William Sards, Jordan Bagoe, a fit Charlie Kerner, a fit Marchbank, Carlton are a top four team. Blues get Saad Williams, uh, a fit Charlie Kernow, plus natural progression from Walsh, Mackay, Williams and Wiedering. Book him in for top six easily, says Mark. Dean says the Blues will finish between fifth and eighth. 
Um, and then Lee says, out of contract this year, McGovern Setterfield Kennedy, out of contract next year, Cripps, Doherty, DeConing, Mackay, and Sam Petrevsky Seaton. Lee's gone the other way. He says the Blues are painting themselves into a corner. Watch this play out. Some of the thoughts off 0433981116, the temper text. The Cats into a preliminary final. They beat Collingwood by 68 points yesterday. Tom Stewart today has spoken early this morning, as a matter of fact, in the aftermath of their semi-final win from yesterday night. Yeah, it was obviously really pleasing. Um, I think a lot of the, the commentary around last week against Port was we sort of missed our chances, but um, last night was really pleasing for the club to to get those boys ahead of the ball, some good looks, and, and to finish our work was really pleasing. Um, it's a, it's a good step, but it's only one step in the right direction, so we've still got plenty of work to do. Did you know you were, you were on? Did you feel it early? Um, not really. I sort of was still, I think, nil all at six or seven minute mark before Zach kicked that first goal. So um, it, was a, it was a bit of an arm wrestle there, but once we started working in the contest and we got a bit of flow in the game, it, um, it started to open up and we started to play good, some pretty good footy. You look up at the scoreboard three quarter time and the defender you considered my goal. What's that like? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, we've been doing a lot of sort of working on just resetting moment by moment and quarter by quarter. So to, to look up at three-quarter time and to, to see that um, was really pleasing. But obviously they got a couple late, which always sticks in the back of the mind as a defender and you can't be too pleased when they kick a couple of goals in a row. To play just about your best footy in a final, is that sort of the feeling you chase as a footballer, to, to play your best when it matters most? Yeah, um, it was really pleased, as I said, really pleasing for the group. Um, uh, the boys sort of, without copping too much, we sort of copped a little bit last week for maybe not underperforming uh, when we went over to Adelaide. So to see everyone contribute and everyone to play um, exceptionally well last night was, was really pleasing for us as a group. But as I said, um, we've got to rest up and, and get ready for a really big test against Brisbane this week. What so. is it about the gather you've enjoyed this year? Four wins and all pretty comprehensive. Um, I just really enjoy the ground. Um, it's, a, it's a great... Great surface area, it's held up really well throughout the amount of uh, games it's had on there, and it's just it's just good fun to play at. Um, it's it's similar to Skilled, where it's a bit more closed in, and um, I just think we enjoy playing there. It's um, we've had, as we said, we've had a good record there, and it's nice that we get to play hopefully the next two there. What do you reckon that you mentioned that you copped a little bit of heat for under How much did that sort of sharpen your mind going into? Um, oh, I don't think. Internally, we really needed that to, to sharpen us. We were obviously really disappointed with the way we played um, over in Adelaide, but um, we knew that if we produced what we'd produced all year, we were going to be held in really good stead. Um, last night was probably a bit of an anomaly with the way we played and, and how well we did play in terms of the margin of the victory, but we knew that our capacity was good enough to, to match it against most teams, so I suppose that was really pleasing from that respect. In terms of what you hear up here compared to what you would hear in a normal season from your living down in Geelong, do you, do you hear less? Do you hear more in terms of that external stuff and the finals record and all that sort of thing? Oh, I, th- I think you can hear as much as you want to hear um, in the AFL circle, I suppose. If you if you want to read too much into it and go out of your way to, to look at those things, then you don't have to look too far. Um, it's been quite nice up here. It's just a bit bit different. Um, we're sort of surrounded by all our loved ones and all our, all our teammates, so... Um, we don't really speak about that stuff internally. We just sort of focus on the, the next day ahead and what we can achieve that next day. Just playing together, Chris, I mentioned last night as well how you guys enjoyed He played his whole career there. Does he, is there anything about the ground that he's about to tell you that assists with the way you set up, the way you move the ball, where you go to the ball? Is there anything um, 
not that I can really think of. I was speaking to Colin Carter, our president, before, and he said that it's basically the same size as the MCG. It's a little bit narrower and slightly shorter, but it's not too much dissimilar to that. So um, whether that comes into it, we've had quite a good record at the MCG the last few years. Whether, whether that is the case, I'm not too sure, but maybe we just enjoy playing there. We just see the game better on that ground. I'm not, not 100% certain. And maybe that puts them in a good position to really challenge Brisbane in the preliminary final a week from now. We'll take a break here on SEN this Sunday night. That was Tom Stewart. We'll hear from Dylan Grimes a little bit later on. But next, we'll hear from Ben Graham, one of our old mates here at SEN and Channel 7 NFL expert analyst. He'll be with us to uh, to recap the season so far up to the end of week four and then what is to come uh, tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, all the early games start at 4am and what will happen over the course of the next couple of days in week number five of the NFL season. That's next on SEN. It's Sunday night, SEN, Jordan Canellis with you, 0433 if you'd like to send us a text on the temper text line. We've got about an hour to go, so you can send us a text or even give us a call later on, one 736 to uh, discuss anything that we've been talking about here on the program so far tonight. Dan Cherney from The Age will join us a little later on to, uh, again, recap a bit of footy, but also chat Sheffield Shield cricket, which started this weekend. It's uh, under different playing conditions, obviously, because of coronavirus. So we'll go through a bit of that. And who's been playing well? Because the summer of cricket will sneak up on us very quickly after the AFL season is done. We'll be pretty much into the cricket season right off the back of that. But we are in the middle of the NFL season right now. And Ben Graham, one of our favourites here at SEN, it's, uh, he's with us. And it's good to chat with you again, Benny. How are you doing? Uh, good afternoon, Jordan. Yes, it is good to chat to you again. We spent so much time the last couple of years calling the games in the morning. But uh, no sleep-ins at the moment. Daylight saving helps with the 4 a.m. start. But can you believe we're already a quarter of the way through this crazy season that we've got of the NFL? And it's it's been fun, actually. All of the... As long as we stay away from the negative news stories, and unfortunately we've had negative news stories, which we'll get to in a second, but... The craziness, the even some of the the player movements from the off season have all contributed to have to to a, a different looking NFL this season. It's good that some of the established teams, some sort of pointing more towards the Patriots, have have been a bit more beatable. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Brady now there, it's there's all these different stories threading through. What's been the story for you uh, through the first four weeks? What's the NFL look like in the first month? Well, if we Talk about what we thought it was going to look like without any preseason games, with the stop-start uh, lead-in. That it, we thought it was going to be the veteran teams that have made the least amount of changes, so the least changes at say quarterback or head coach. But then you look at what crowds were able to come to the game, so it actually tipped the scales in favour of the visiting teams because when you've got a loud crowd, the visiting uh, offense can find it quite difficult to communicate. But what I've loved is the default position of most teams through this pandemic has been offense. The high-scoring games, the teams are scoring at will, which is, I think, fantastic for the game. Uh, Unfortunately, there has been a lot of injuries uh, and to big-name players too, which is testing the depth of a lot of teams, but when you scan through the current standings, uh, everything is pretty much business as usual. If we pick out a couple of the disappointments so far, the Houston Texans have been disappointing. They're 0-4, but they have played 
some of the better teams in the NFL so far in the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Steelers. In the NFC, you've got to say the Cowboys have underperformed, but can you believe they're only a half game back <laughs> in the NFC East? That is an absolute mess out there in the NFC East. You mentioned the Buccaneers. They are three and two. They did get beaten by the Bears with Brady not knowing it was fourth down. That was quite funny to watch. But um, they are leading the South. So the Saints are probably the ones that have performed subpar, you'd say. Um, I still think they'll be good enough to win that division. The 49ers, they're at the bottom of the NFC West after playing in the Super Bowl last year. But, you know, the big surprise for me has been the Indianapolis Colts. I wasn't too sure about them, as I mentioned before, about the teams that are making change and Philip Rivers coming across from the Chargers. He hasn't played out of his skin, but their defense has been the number one ranked defense in the NFL this year with a three and one record. And amazingly enough, that we're talking about one of the AFC matchups of the year so far this year, oh, no. this week, <laughs> with the Colts at the Cleveland Browns, who also have a 3-1 and one record. So there's a couple of good stories for you. Well, that is that is the matchup of week number five. That's the game of the week this week is the, the Colts against the Browns. The Colts haven't been terrible the last couple of seasons. The Browns have been pretty terrible for as long as they've been around. So now this becomes all of a sudden the, the game of, of the weekends. What have the Browns done in Cleveland that they've become one of the most exciting teams to watch, especially last week against the, the Dallas Cowboys where they were – scoring touchdowns in, in every different possible manner. They had trick plays. They had Jarvis Landry throwing touchdowns. What's changed in Cleveland? Well, they bought in a lot of talent at the start of last year with Freddie Kitchens. They've now changed coach, obviously, but they've been together a year. So you call them a veteran roster. They beefed up the O-line. They've protected Baker Mayfield. And their running game has been absolutely sensational, even with Nick Chubb missing. Kareem Hunt's been great. Dearness Johnson had a good game last week. They'll be without Nick Chubb again, but with their weapons at wide receiver, Jarvis Landry and OBJ, we know they get Najuku back at tight end. Austin Hooper's been a revelation for them from the Falcons. They've just allowed Baker Mayfield to manage the game. They haven't relied on him to make those big plays that we're used to. They're consistent. They've scored... You know, 35, 34, they put up 49 points against Dallas. I know the Cowboys' defense is struggling. But they're a hard team to match up on right now, and they're going to face their biggest test in the Colts' defense. Talked about them before. They only allowed 28 rushing yards by the Bears last week. So that's where the matchup, that's where the game will be won or lost. But I think the Browns, they've got more than just their running game. I think that they'll be good enough if Baker Mayfield can protect the football. As good as the Colts' defence have been, they don't want to give up the big plays. They are missing Darius Leonard this week through injury. I think the Browns are going to be good enough. And But either way, one of these teams, the Colts or the Browns, are going to start the year 4-1. and one. <laughs> I want to talk about the, the veteran quarterbacks, um, Ben. The Tom Brady over in Tampa Bay, or Tampa Bay they've been calling it, Drew Brees at the Saints and then Aaron Rodgers at the Green Bay Packers have all had different seasons. Tampa Bay, as you said, on the weekend, lost that game by a point against Chicago. The Saints and Drew Brees, they haven't been terrible, but they've been 
just average, just in the middle. And then Aaron Rodgers has been carrying the Green Bay Packers on his back through the season so far. He he doesn't have any overly well-known wide receiving options to him. Um, Devontae Adams has been out. Alan Lazard, who was sort of the next best, he's out as well. And so they're down to their down to their third and fourth stringers in at, at wide receiver and they're bringing in players off the practice squad and the waiver wider to, to fill up the wide receiver position yet he is going strong and I don't think he's thrown in interception yet this season Aaron Rodgers so Brady Breeze and Rodgers have all sort of branched out in different regions so far this season <laughs> well they have and I knew it would take a little bit of time for the Buccaneers with all their new weapons a bit like the Browns last year with Brady and Fournette um, but uh, he's done okay, Tom, but he really did on Friday morning our time look like he was 43 years old. He was beaten up. He was rushed. He was sacked. Um, I, I just, I, I have my concerns. I mean, I, I, I thought he should have retired as a Patriot. I don't think his legacy will be affected um, if he doesn't have success in Tampa Bay. They have got it off to a three and two start, but it's just different for him. He just hasn't got the coaching around him yet. He's probably has to think a little bit more on his feet than he's used to. The offensive line aren't as stout as what the Patriots were able to do for him. So he's going to be, he's going to have his ups and downs. And, you know, hopefully there aren't too many times where he does look or feel 43 years old. But the other two, I mean, I know the Saints, they're off to a two-and-two start. They did beat the Bucks week one. They lost to the Raiders week two uh, when the Raiders played in their home stadium in Vegas for the first time. And their other loss was against the Packers. It was a 37-30 loss. It wasn't a bad loss. Um, and Breeze played okay. And, you know, it may be his last shot at it too, but he's doing what... He does. They're a veteran team. They're well coached. They haven't made too many changes in the off season. So I expect the deeper this season goes, the better they're going to get. But the pick of the bunch, as you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers. Well, we know they drafted Jordan Love. He would have gone back and said, right, this is going to be my year. He's been playing vintage Aaron Rodgers. He's relied on Aaron Jones when he's needed to. You talk about his lack of wide receiver depth. Well, Robert Tonyan, he had three touchdowns on the weekend. Yep. To he he's equal most touchdowns of the season so far. Tonya Matidi never heard of him, but Rogers' ability to be able to bring those types of guys into the game, he's having a vintage year. And in the MVP conversation already, he's got the Packers off to a four and zero start. They've got the bye this week, and then we'll be talking next week about Aaron Rodgers versus. Tom Brady, when they travel to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks, So three veteran quarterbacks still playing at a high level, um, which is exciting for football fans. Off the field, Benny, uh, undoubtedly the biggest story has been coronavirus and the positive tests that have come back from within the, uh, within the teams. They got through pretty much the whole pre-season, off-season period with, with no test or no positive tests for players. I was a couple of, I think, staffers and, and people at within the club who had positive tests around the around the NFL, the 32 teams. But now there are players, and mainly at the Titans. Um, there's a couple sprinkled elsewhere. There was one at the Saints. Could the NFL have, have done it any differently 
uh, in how they've planned the season, keeping in mind how expensive everything is and how difficult logistically things are in the NFL because of the size of the league and how big each team is, each franchise is. Could anything have been done differently from what from from your view all the way back here? Well, having lived over there and in that environment for eight years, the closest thing that could have happened is that everybody goes into a training camp scenario for the entire season. And that is a complicated and costly exercise. And we know how many players opted out anyway. If you were to go into a bubble-type scenario like the NBA have done for their final series, you would have had a lot more players opt out. And I don't think that you would have the facility to be able to cater for 32 teams to be able to practice and continue to play games. So, look, they've done everything they possibly can to keep the game alive. There was always going to be a positive test. They've introduced the reserve COVID list. They've got good protocols. They've got hefty fines in place. Um, the disappointing thing for me is if you look at the first game that was postponed, the Titans and the Steelers, that was not the Steelers' fault. Those players didn't get an opportunity to play. They've lost the opportunity to earn that game check. Now, you hope that they do uh, have that opportunity later on to be able to, to play that game again. But who knows where this season's going to go. The Titans and Bills game's already been rescheduled to Wednesday. So, like the AFL's been, they've just got to continue to be agile and flexible and uh, and roll with the punches to a point where it doesn't completely derail the season. But it's it's going to be an ongoing topic. We'll, we'll be talking about it every week about who's affected and uh, who's the beneficiary of it. Some teams probably wish that they had it just so that they could um, sit on the sidelines for a week or two and... and uh, restock but look it's unfortunate everyone's having to deal with it hopefully that the NFL season can continue on Last one for you Ben and one off the text um, uh, can we please talk about Buffalo it's been 20 years guys Lordy I don't know if Lordy is his nickname or if he's actually saying oh my Lordy because it has been quite a long time for Buffalo and now they are on top of their uh, their AFC division with the, the Patriots now without Brady and uh, Cam Newton missed the last game as well. He was one of the positive tests. They are on top, and that ties into my last question for you. Who is leading the MVP after a month? If you were to, to make a, a judgment now and throw up a few candidates, uh, would Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills be in there? Are there any non-quarterback nominations for, for the MVP at this stage of the season? Who have you got? Well... Uh, a special teams coach of mine always used to say that it doesn't matter if you win it or not, it's whether you're in the conversation. So right now we're having the conversation. We've got a four-week sample size, and Josh Allen is definitely in the conversation. I like what he did last year. He was my fantasy quarterback last year, so I watched him closely. But he has gone ahead leaps and bounds. He's making good decisions. He's protecting the football. They've now given him some weapons. Stefan Diggs, John Brown... They're quick, they're deep play threats. Devin Singletary's in his second year at running back. They're protecting him. The defense has always been good. Uh, I like what the Bills are doing. They're flying under the radar a little bit because the Patriots weren't expected to do great things this year. But the Bills have continued on their great form from last year. And when you look at the standings, 
there's only two teams with a two-game lead in their division. One is the Kansas City Chiefs and the other is the Buffalo Bills. So they're ahead of the curve right now. Josh Allen's definitely in that conversation. But we talked about Aaron Rodgers as having a vintage year, but I can't go past Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, in my book, was leading the MVP at week 13 last year before Lamar Jackson just completely exploded uh, into the scene. Russell Wilson, the way he started this season, 16 touchdowns in the first four weeks. They've got a 4-0 record. Yeah, their defense is struggling a little bit, but he's leading the MVP for mine. But Josh Allen, he's not far behind, that's for sure. Ben, it's been a pleasure talking to you this evening. Hopefully we can reunite on air at some stage and uh, and, and work our way through this crazy season of, of NFL. There were so many more topics we could have could have touched on, but I've got to keep moving on. A pleasure to hear your voice and uh, and we'll make sure to check out uh, NFL Armchair Experts as well. Have you returned? Have you returned, was it last week or this week upcoming? Yes, no, I've been uh, calling into the show on a weekly basis at back in the studio tomorrow morning. So 10.30, 7, mate. We'll see you then. Beautiful. Thank you, Benny. On you, Jordan. Ben Graham with us here on SEN Sunday nights, and you can check him out on 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 uh, SEN across the uh, across the network, but also Channel Seven as well. We'll have him on. You'll hear his voice again, I'm sure, on SEN very very shortly. Who is your NFL team? Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen, and uh, and send us a message on how you think they are they are going so far because it's been a, a weird old season. All the it's been a flip flop season. All the good teams have been uh, have been bad, and all the bad teams have been good. Kind of. I mean, there are still some bad teams who are bad. Dan Cherney from the Age, not far away. We'll talk Sheffield Shield cricket with him. The, sh- the Shield season started uh, yesterday. We're at stumps on day number two of the first two matches in the Shield, Queensland and Tasmania, and also the Redbacks against Western Australia. All matches so far being played over in South Australia, and that will be the case for the first four rounds of the Sheffield Shield season. From there on, who knows how it all gets sorted out by Cricket Australia. Hopefully by that stage, the country is back to normal, in normal as much as we can be in these times. We'll do that later. Firstly, though, Dylan Grimes on, uh, on the, well, the last couple of days talking about Richmond's win on Friday night. They are into the preliminary final. Here is the defender, Dylan Grimes. Nah, very exciting. Like, it's a huge challenge this week. And um, I think, firstly, we're just thrilled to have gotten over the line on the weekend, though, against some really good opposition. St Kilda had been in, in great form leading up to the match. So, um, yeah, we're just excited for the challenge now ahead. I think it's the um, oh, same as last week. It's do or die for us. We've really got to step up to that, to that challenge and meet it head on because... Um, they're a terrific side, Port Adelaide. They're in great form, and just to add to that challenge, we're playing them on their home deck and against a hostile crowd. So, look, it's going to be a huge challenge for us, but I think everyone's just really excited about that. Do you feel like you're hitting form at the right time? Like last week, you really sharpened up against the Saints? Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, I, I, the, the, the week previous against Brisbane, there were some things that we really wanted to work on. Um, and, yeah, to see that kind of that change this week against St Kilda was really positive. So... Um, having said that, we haven't done the team review and no doubt Dimmer's got a list of things that he wants us to get better at again. But um, yeah, I think, look, to see that kind of Richmond brand back um, after a week where we were a little bit off um, the week previous was, was really positive. Dylan, how, how different is it going this route to the preliminary final? Obviously, the last three years you've made it there direct, had the week off, this time playing all the way through. Does that matter? Does it make any difference? 
Oh, I don't really think so. I mean, obviously, it would have been great to, to you know, win against Brisbane and go, um, you know, go straight through. And well, again, we'd be playing this week, but. Yeah, look, I think it's just a different route. Each each year's looked so different for us, and um, you know, I think this year has just added to that added to that look. Really, I mean, it, it, different challenges every year has has meant that it's been a different look in finals. So um, yeah, I, I haven't mind playing um, week in week out. It's kind of given us an opportunity to to either learn and grow from from the loss like we had against Brisbane, or or maintain some consistency. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a particularly good or bad thing, but. Um, yeah, we, we're just looking at it as another opportunity to learn and grow from our system. That was, you know, we've we, um, shown that there was some room for improvement against Brisbane. So to, to be able to play and then, you know, try and rectify those things has, has been good for us. Dylan, you saw a more probably ferocious and niggly uh, Richmond at the weekend. Is, was that something that was player-led or coach-led? And is it something we can expect to probably see for the rest of the finals now? Did you say ferocious and niggly? Niggly, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I didn't particularly notice that side of things on on field. We definitely played the the Richmond brand that we want, which was you know the high pressure and contested football. Um, we've been trying to bring that for the last sort of four or five years, so there wasn't a particular focus on that at all. But um, having said that, it was really good to see us bounce back in that area against you know because we felt like it was an area that we could have improved on against Brisbane. So um, to bring that back and one of our strengths back into the forefront of our game was was really positive. It was compared a little bit, I suppose, to the unsociable Hawks. Um, do you think that type of, when you sort of do bring that Tigers brand, and we saw maybe Cochin as well was pretty fired up as well, do you think that can put a bit of fear into the opposition, especially a team like the Saints who hadn't, hadn't been in the finals for quite some time? Oh, I don't really think so, to be honest. I think when you look at it, there's probably two incidents that you're referring to, and um, you know, across a whole game, you probably look at that every week, and there's two incidents. So I, I don't really think it's there's much to make of it, other than we're just playing a Richmond brand. And um, yeah, I don't think other teams would, would would look into that at all. To be honest, it's just the you know there's probably going to be you know, against you know uh, in other teams, other games this week. There's probably other things that happen, but yeah, I'm not sure why there's been so much made of this. But we love the the brand of footy that both Trent and Lynchy play, and. Um, you know, we're going to be trying to bring that week in, week out, that, that physical style of Richmond football. Having said that, we like our players playing to the rules and, and you know, not giving away any free kicks and penalties where we can. So, um, yeah, that's a focus of ours. But I just think it's, uh, it's a bit of a storm in a teacup in some ways. How much do you take out of the last time you met where they, they beat you by 21 points but you're winning by a point with a quarter to play? Just um, do you look back at it because it was the same high or the same dance, albeit um, oh, not, not really. I think every game's different, particularly in finals. But having said that, I feel like, and Dimmer said it, I think, in the media after the game, the, the scoreboard flattered us a little bit in that game. We were a fair way off Port Adelaide on the night. And um, they played a terrific brand of footy and they play it so well on their home deck. So um, I think we got a taste of what the challenge will be like um, in the sense that we've seen how they've played and we've seen their system. But they're just, they're just a great side. I mean, when you put it down to that, they, they, they've got so many tricks, they've got so many good players, and they've got a great um, team system. So uh, no matter how you look at it, it's going to be a tough, a tough game, a real arm wrestle. And, um, yeah, I think whichever team wins on the night is going to be very well-deserved because, um, yeah, I think both teams are, are in good form and, and both teams are going to be looking to challenge one another. Dylan Grimes, Richmond defender. That game, Port Adelaide and Richmond, the preliminary final is the Friday night game, Adelaide Oval, 7.50 Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And the night after, Brisbane hosting Geelong at the Gabba, 
7.40, daylight savings time on the East Coast. A break. Dan Churney from The Age coming up next. We'll chat about the opening weekend of the Sheffield Shield season. Stumps on day two in two matches. Where is uh, Where are we at so far after two days? Some big tons have been made in both games. Dan Churney next on SEN. Winding things down this Sunday evening. Continue to send us texts on 0433981116. Dazza. I only started following the NFL last season. A guy at my work told me to check out the Patrick Mahomes highlights on YouTube. What a year I had. Hard to believe I followed the Saners in the AFL for nearly 60 years with bugger all success. The Kansas City Chiefs are awesome. I love it. Dazza, thank you for the text. Uh, yes, we'll, uh, well, I'll continue. Well, if you listen to the overnight crowd on SCN, I'll definitely bring you more NFL uh, discussions. We do that in the late hours on SCN. For now, though, let's turn our attention to cricket. Dan Churney from The Age has been keeping tabs on the opening weekend of the Sheffield Shield season. Got underway yesterday. A little bit uh, of a of a uh, low-key start given footy is still on. Normally, this would be clear air for cricket. But, Dan, welcome to the program. Good to chat with you again. Good to be with you, Jordan. The uh, Sheffield Shield, the, the, there's been one big headline story so far from the first two days, and that was Marnus Labuschagne. In the Tasmania-Queensland match, stumps on day two, Tasmania... It was an okay total in the first innings, probably slightly below par. But Marnus Labuschagne now gives the Bulls a big lead and they're not even finished yet in their first innings. How good was his innings? What did he score? Uh, it, was, no, it was really good. Um, <laughs> he made 167 and uh, I think it was in some some respects uh, and a pretty quick fire one at that, about 230 balls. Um, in some respects, it's uh, reassuring that uh, in these troubling and unsettling times that uh, to see Marnus Labuschagne making... Big scores, sort of a um, reminder of a return to some sort of normality. Um, he's a little bit scratchy early, as he conceded after play, but um, yeah, he, he really got going. 17 fours, a couple of sixes. Uh, I mean, these aren't huge grounds that they're playing on. These um, some of these out grounds in Adelaide, but um, you know, he's up against a pretty decent attack. One featuring um, Peter Siddle and Jackson Bird. You know, both of whom are pretty. You know, keep things pretty tight. Um, you know, a, a pretty reasonable Tasmanian side, but uh, he made them look second rate. Um, yeah, just ploughed his way to a, to a huge century. Um, and uh, strangely enough, actually fell to um, the new medium pace of uh, Bo Webster, who um, has uh, recently added a string to his bow, better known as a batsman and, a, and a occasional uh, off you, but, uh, but, uh, or spinner, but he, um, yeah, he's added a bit of medium pace to, it, to his bow and he actually yorked. Minus Labuschagne, which is an unlikely, uh, unlikely turn of events, but uh, I suppose after 167, uh, you uh, probably probably dulls dulls the the sweetness of taking that wicket. But yeah, Queensland, um, yeah, they're, they're in control. You, uh, you you took one of the words off my uh, little uh, page of notes here. Reassurance. It is reassuring uh, for Minus Labuschagne for normality, as you said, but also I guess for for the Test side later in the summer that after this early start and uh, and Minus Labuschagne, the Test number three is is already making tons. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, I mean, we know, you know, just what an incredible, uh, what an incredible, I suppose, five, six months he had um, from obviously um, the uh, the Ashes and, and following Steve Smith's concussion uh, lords and then coming in as a concussion substitute, making that plucky 50 on the last day to save that test and then um, a handful of tough centuries to, to round out the series and then uh, obviously just his tour de force um, during the uh, the home summer last last, you know, last season, in which Australia just you know, dominated both Pakistan and New Zealand, and Marnus was at the forefront of that. Obviously, a double century uh, against New Zealand at the SCG. Um, 
So, yeah, no, it, it is reassuring. I mean, he hasn't played Red Bull cricket since then. He's uh, had a handful of, um, you know, he, he became a member of the Australian one of national team. So he's, uh, he's had a few opportunities there and it's sort of um, done okay without without uh, being a world beater. But uh, in Red Bull cricket, he, he remains a bit of a world beater. So really good on, on that front. Not not quite as good, though, for, um, for uh, some of his Australian teammates. Yeah, there is. There have been a couple of other Australian teammates in the other match as well. Actually, one of the one of the players from his own team, Michael Neves, uh, took five wickets in the uh, in the first innings, opening the bowling for Queensland. So uh, good result so far, halfway through that that Sheffield Shield match. The other match, the Western Australia South Australia game, a packed WA squad as it normally is. There's, there's talent from top to bottom, uh, and all of them had contributions, but a great partnership in the middle order from Ashton Agar and Josh Inglis, two, normally two prominent white ball players, but both scoring red ball tons, unbeaten as well as uh, as WA declared. That's, um, again, there's normally one or two players, almost every match for WA, who'll score a century, given their talent. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, they do have a lot of talent. They have for a long time. I suppose uh, it'd be nice if they actually won something now and again. Uh, they haven't really achieved much for, for all the talent they've had in their squads over a long period of time. But um, they've won, to be fair, they have won some one-day titles, but the Shield, it's been a long time since they've, um, they've taken that out. Uh, but yeah, no, it was the state's uh, sixth highest, um, uh, bigger pardon, highest sixth wicket stand uh, the two of them put on. I think it was 260-odd. Um, English in particular uh, with a really um, close to a runner ball um, knock there, 150 or so he made and and Agar as well, and uh, and they declared um, after a big day of, uh, of pounding the Redbacks. But um, South Australia steadying with a century to Jake Weatherall's. Um, so a fair bit of uh, work to be done from, from both sides to, to, to force a result there uh, with, with two days to play. But uh, so I, I should have just touched on earlier with, with Queensland. Uh, worth noting that uh, Joe Burns, uh, he, he fails. He made uh, seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously with this big... For him, he was okay last test last summer without completely locking away his um, his spot as Australia's uh, test opener for, for, for the medium term. So he um, he, yeah, he he fell cheaply. Actually, became Peter Siddle's first uh, first victim since um, Siddle switched to uh, Tasmania. It was strange to see because Peter Siddle not only wearing um, the, the Tigers crest but also with uh, bottle blonde hair. He uh, seemed to um, <laughs> make the most of his isolation. It was very funny. He looked like a slim shady. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, very funny look. Uh, and also Usman Kawaja, who obviously is trying to regain his spot um, in the Australian test side, um, has a, an uphill battle to do so at his age, you would have thought. And the Queensland captain, uh, he fell for um, for four. He was, I thought it was a bit of a dubious LBW, to be honest. Nathan Ellis um, looked like it was sliding down leg. Uh, so not a great start to his season either. But uh, And the other one, actually, of note was um, Matt Renshaw, who uh, another former Australian opener it has been a bit of a rolling door, hasn't it? But uh, he made um, he's batting down the order now. Mm-hmm. Bryce Street opened with Burns. Bryce Street made a, a um, stodgy 54, but Renshaw batting at five actually made a, a, a handy 48. It was run out by a, by a direct hit from from Bo Webster. So there are look uh, there are, there are storylines. Really looks across um, the opening uh, round of the Shield. Obviously Victoria New South Wales not playing, and it looks like. Um, their, their, their second match might also be pushed back because the Vic's not able to get a clear run at training. Um, mm-hmm. Some pretty strict quarantine measures uh, over there. Uh, talking to some people around there, it sounds like a bit of a circus. But uh, 
But uh, look, these, these, these are the challenges that come with the times, and um, it's just good to have some some shield cricket back and and some of Australia's big guns firing. Absolutely, Dan. A pleasure talking to you, and we'll uh, we'll uh, uh, catch up with you again soon. I'm sure, and plenty of times throughout the summer of cricket. Thank you, mate. Pleasure, Jordan. Have a good one, Dan Journey from the Age. You can uh, you can read Dan's Shield Wrap at theage.com.au or in tomorrow's print edition of the Age. So. Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, the four teams in action, and then uh, Victoria and New South Wales, they'll be in action at the moment, scheduled for the 22nd of October. But as Dan said, complications in all of this with uh, Victoria training and the like. We'll take a break on the Sunday night edition here on SEN. We will come back. We'll read some of your texts, take a couple more calls, and then wrap up the program for the night. Wrapping things up this Sunday night. Thank you for being with us. We'll take one more call. My old mate Robin Thornbury is with us here on SEN. Hello, Rob. Jordan, how you going, my friend? How you been, bud? I'm good, I'm good. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, mate, um, it's, I'm up and about. Uh, Sunday evening, mate, um, I recovered from an ACL, PCL and dislocated kneecap from a skating injury Jeepers. recently, mate. But, uh, but I'm up and about, mate, so I'm, I'm being really positive and I'm calling in because one, number one, I, I, I like the show, number two... Uh, yeah, just good to hear your voice, man. I haven't spoken to you for a while, so yeah. I know. Thanks for calling in. You're a you're a big Tigers man. How are you feeling ahead of the prelim? Well, it, it's it's funny you, you say that, mate. Now, I just wanted to touch base. First of all, I'm proud of the Tigers for for doing what they've done this year in the unforeseen circumstances that uh, has been this season. But um, it's just great to see um, some of these players that sort of on the fringe, come back in and, and, and perform like Camden McIntosh. He missed out on last year's grand final. He's been playing his role off a half-back line really, really well. And I'm just really excited about uh, Richmond's prospects uh, against Port Adelaide this year. They've been the front runners from go to woe, from round one to round 18. Mm. And I think it's going to be a killer dealer, as KB would say. <laughs> so it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see because we've got seven players who didn't play in the round eight clash. Um, and I'm just going to quickly tell you who they are, uh, if I can get into my phone. But, um, but yeah, I mean, how did you see the, the, I guess, the round that was on the weekend with Geelong belting the pies off the park and then Richmond win by 31? Yeah, we're coming up to uh, top of hour. I think I was surprised that Collingwood didn't put it. I mean, it's in in hindsight, I suppose, they were pretty exhausted from the, from the first game. I was surprised that Geelong beat them the way they did uh, by that margin. Richmond, I was a bit more... Um, I think we all sort of knew that was on the way to happening. I think everyone had sort of tipped Richmond to beat St Kilda and they showed that they can... Uh, that they're still playing good football and I think their football will match up pretty well against Port Adelaide. Whoever is able to get on top in the pressure and the speed is going to go a long way to winning. Thank you, Rob. It's uh, a pleasure talking to you, mate. We're coming up to the end of the program. Thank you to you, Rob, off the, uh, off the calls. Thank you to producer Mitch out the back as well for helping us tonight. Coming up in sport this weekend, French MotoGP tonight at 10, German Formula 1 at 11, Roland Garros men's final at midnight, NBA game 6 in the finals begins tomorrow at 10.30, and NFL week 5 beginning at 4am. You can continue that throughout the day as well. Keep tabs, sen.com.au to podcast. Have a good night this Sunday night. See ya. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.